Criterion creeps are coming with Jared and RJ from Renoir to Kurosawa and everything along the way. Highbrow, lowbrow, they won't stop until the This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylock. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now to creep our way through our Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order to release. This week we're experimenting with our lives, Ugh. our sex, our birth, Ugh. and our deaths. As we watch Spine 184 in the Criterion Collection, Stan Brackage's By Brackage, an anthology. But first, uh-huh. RJ. Yes. How how are you this week? God dang, Jarrett, I'm doing good. Wow. You ever just have a good week? Dang old man, you saw, what is there, Boomhauer <laughs> over there? Dang old, dang old Jarrett, good old week. Hey, you know what I never brought up on the uh, Fear and Moathing episode is that Dale Gribble is basically Hunter S. Thompson. A little, there's some... Uh, there's the, some overlap. Yeah, a little bit. There's some definite overlap. I, I feel like some of his character traits were maybe... Uh, it's kind of like the, the physical template is there. That also, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot that add up there. Did I ever send you? There was like a really great Twitter thread this guy made of how everybody in King of the Hill voted in 2016 uh, in the U.S. election. It's pretty. I it's, it's it's actually R.J. fairly poignant. It's it's really poignant. well done. I'll have to send it on to you. I, I haven't seen that, but I think you and friend of the show Ryan Nagel both sent me the. Uh, King of the Hill Evangelion oh crossover. That that and that thing and that came out from like several months ago. And I'm like, this completely yeah. flew under my radar. It and then when I saw everything. it again, I watched it. I'm like, I've watched that way more than I think anything else that I've seen this year. Good. It's like, Good. oh, so excellent. So excellent. It, it is excellent. Yeah. Kind of like how I'm doing right now. Excellent. Excellent. You're high on I'm life, do- huh? I'm high on life, you know, I'm feeling good. Uh last how's, week. How's married life, RJ? Still still the same. Good. I mean, the one thing that we glossed over with everyone is that uh, I've been dating Andrea for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, we've been living together for five and not a whole lot has changed. But uh, I, I, I'm just saying I'm flying high from the uh, the wealth and warmth from the fan base and the friends of the show out there. All the contributors, all those people. It was kind of like you ever seen the Grinch, Jarrett? Those people? Well, I'll get there. I'll get to those people. But you ever seen The Grinch? Uh, I'm aware of The Grinch. I've read The Grinch. I've uh, studied The Grinch. I've seen... uh, Both adaptations? No, I've seen the animated adaptation. And I have uh, seen brief glimpses of the live-action horror show. But but I I have not seen that, like, recent thing. Hey, you know when The Grinch... Yeah, I haven't seen the recent one either. But when the Jim Carrey one came out, Mm -hmm. I was in elementary school... Fuck and uh, fuck, you're a little kid. Yes, I am. Uh, and then in grade six, we did the Grinch uh, as a play. And uh, guess who got cast as the Grinch for the school play? Me. And you're, guess yes, he gestures who, toward himself. This guy. And then guess who didn't study his lines and opted to watch the Jim Carrey movie a couple <laughs> times instead? And then guess who forgot every single line during the play? 
this guy. So anyways, I was going to say, remember how in the Grinch, they like thought he didn't have a heart, but then it turned out he had the biggest heart of all. Mm -hmm. That was like what this week was for me. Finding out that my co-host, known monster, cold-hearted, just horrible, horrible human being, Jared Duncan, did this super kind and sweet gesture Hmm. that I had no idea about until uh, last week. And uh, I've mentioned on them before. I actually do listen to our podcast episode. I'm not, not, not to be vain, but uh, it's kind of, it's like cathartic almost to like listen to yourself, <laughs> like talk about it, and then I don't know. I I try to try to use it to improve our our, our craft, Jarrett. And then I, I I notice a lot where when you listen and you can see where you say things like like and uh mm. and uh, which we get called out on YouTube frequently for. I think especially in our earlier episodes, whatever. I didn't know about that uh, little nice little thing you did. And then I was driving my car, and uh, I'm not even kidding. I almost crashed my fucking car when it kicked on. I was like, what the fuck? Uh, and then the big one was a uh, friend of the show, Josh Frazier, who I haven't heard of in like two years. He came on. I had to pull over and park. I was like, what is happening? I was... I was completely blown away. Flabbergasted. Flabbergasted because I was like, what the fuck? But uh, I got to say, everyone who contributed, everyone who sent in things, uh, the Grangers, uh, I thought, did a a terrific job leading everyone off. Uh, Josh Frazier, Justin Peterson, Frank Salmano, uh, Actium Jackson Maximus, Mm -hmm. uh, friend of the show from Lithuania, uh, George (laughs) Holschminer. Yeah. Uh, they were all there, man. Did I miss anyone? Frank? Oh, no, I said Frank. Ryan? Oh, he, Ryan Nagel, the big friend of the show right there. I mentioned him earlier, though. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and uh, perhaps and even s- right right now, I could uh, insert a audio clip that Sam Sanchez sent late. Hello, RJ. This is Sam, uh, one of your several Spanish fluent listeners, calling in with a very late message. I heard everyone at the at the end of last week's show submitted their farewell wishes at the request of your your great non-cold-hearted friend Jarrett there, and I was sorry that I actually wasn't part of it, and the reason is because I'm a horrible fan and horrible listener who doesn't check his emails, uh, so I actually never noticed the email that Jarrett had sent out, uh, like most of your other dependable listeners there that contributed. Um, so here's a, here's one that either Jarrett could decide to forward to you directly or however you wanted to use it is cool, uh, but congratulations to you guys, to you and Andrea for your wedding, and wanted to wish you a very happy and very successful marriage. Uh, you did it. Yeah, you found the one woman you don't hate, so hold on to her, um, treat her well, uh, and I'm sure in contrast to the character you play on the show, the real you will turn out to be an amazing husband, and one day, who knows, you'll have little RJs running and dumping around the house. Uh, you'll be able to put them to sleep, much like me, and you can so you can watch some movies. Um, again, RJ, uh, congrats to both of you, and wish you all the best. Take care, bud. That, yeah, so I Jarrett did send along uh, Sam Sanchez. Sam Sanchez had a uh, late entry, uh, but he sent it to me. So uh, I did get that, Sam. I appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, no, it was, that was, uh, it was very nice. It was nice to hear from everyone. It was a, it was a beautiful thing. I, I made Andrea listen to it, and we held each other, and we cried. <laughs> it was awesome. I'm only half kidding. Like, it was actually <laughs> – like, uh, I, I did make her listen to it, and she's like, oh, that's so sweet. And I was just like, Ugh. It's like, it's beautiful. beautiful. I've never met any of these people before. Look at them. Look at them. So uh, everyone did a great job. And uh, yeah, Jared Duncan, the known monster, mm-hmm. the guy who can't get within 200 feet of any public <laughs> setting. 
anywhere near people. Anywhere near humans, no, no, animals. No, no, no one is safe. Nothing any, is safe. Any living creature, he no. just can't go. Uh, he orchestrated this whole thing, so it was a. Uh, it was pretty special. It was. It was very nice. I. I appreciate everyone's uh, kind words. Well, all I'll say is uh, thanks for everyone who uh, pulled through. And mm-hmm. even if you didn't, that's okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, if I, yes. I mean, I listen to podcasts, and uh, if they had done asked for a similar thing, I probably wouldn't have contributed because that's just not who I am. But uh, yeah, I'm really glad that people actually did because coming closer to the day, I was like, oh my god, if no one pulls through, this will just be real sad, and I just won't even mm-hmm. mention it to RJ. But uh, it, it was a success, yeah. so I'm glad that a uh, an attempt at some a genuine uh, gesture paid off. So that was good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I I agree. Uh, for anyone, too, who didn't email in, I get it, too. I probably wouldn't either. But uh, everyone who did, um, it was awesome. I, it was some, some very well-thought-out things there. I, I noticed some trends in the uh, the well-known woman hater, infamous mm-hmm. woman hater. Uh, it came up, uh, I think, in even Sam Sanchez's off-air of course. Uh, description. So, uh, I mean, Andrea gets it. She knows. Mm-hmm. She knows. But, uh, yeah, that was... It's very nice. I have it saved on my phone. And, you know, maybe if I'm ever getting blue, I'll just listen to all you nice people out there. There you go. How's that sound, Jared? That sounds fine by me. So very, very good to uh, all the friends of the show. Just as a <laughs> friends of the sh- friends of the show. Yeah. That can. Hey, what's up with you? Uh, summer's winding down, my man. Yep. You're just doing like beautiful gestures in your spare time for people's weddings and you know life events and things like that. Uh yeah, running running the D and Ds, running those role playing games. Uh-huh. That's been good times. We uh, had our best turnout yet. Oh, yeah. Every time more successful. Uh, I was really glad to see we had like half of the people who came were female and half of that was like half of the people who came were like probably under the age of eighteen which is really cool mm-hmm. that it's actually getting to people who are not your 50-year-old weird old dudes that uh, complain about shit from the 80s still, like how mm-hmm. and their, their highlights of their lives from decades ago. So it's cool that young new people are coming in and learning how to play one of the great hobbies, RJ, ro- ro- I, tabletop role-playing games. Well, if you're interested, I could get you hooked up with a bunch of uh, under-18 kids uh, to oh, play no. tabletop stuff. Well, okay, Jeffrey Epstein. I don't know who that is. Uh, is he a good dude? <laughs> yeah, well, he's a dead dude. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just thought I'd offer. I mean, if you like that enthusiasm, mm-hmm. I was. Uh, I know a, a local junior high right beside me. They have oh, a, no. a tabletop group oh, on oh, Fridays. Oh, load. Well, I mean, it'd be supervised. Oh man, even worse. Oh, uh, <laughs> well. I'm glad that uh, you're you're still kicking strong because uh, I think even you were like, we'll see how long this lasts. Yeah, that's but good. it's been so, what well, like a year, two years almost. Well, no, my well, so my regular game group uh, we went for just over a year, but it's kind of like petered out because two As of them, they do. two of them have moved away, and two of them their like job situation changed, and they just can't pull the the later evening stuff so there's only there's a few of us left and we're going to try to regroup get this thing going but in the meantime this uh once a month thing is probably going to work out as long as i uh push for it so i'm looking forward to uh doing it in october we'll, we'll we're, we're going to do some sort of spooky themed uh you're gonna do uh, some spooky things oh yeah yeah i'm i'm into some spooky stuff in october yeah oh yeah baby i don't it's, know if we've ever mentioned that on the show but, uh, uh, perhaps 
Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. I don't uh, know if that's ever come up. But yeah, that, that fast approaches. Mm, people better get ready. Mm-hmm. We're going to do Troma again. All oh. the same movies. We're just going to watch them all again. I do. So uh, amongst other great accomplishments, I think uh-huh. of the podcast, uh, you know, bringing people together to, you know, call in and uh, wish mm-hmm. well to people they've never met just from people yep. they've met via podcast. Uh, I can also look back on my letterbox for the year 2019 and see that my two most watched directors are now Stan Brackage and Lloyd Kaufman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never thought that day would come, but here we are. Well, I'll get to this Stan Brackage business uh, during our uh, our regular thing, but yep. uh, no, I never I never wanted this life. <laughs> I never wanted any of this. I bring that up all the time. You're, you're, you did it. No. You're a bad dude again. I, all, all that good, uh, <laughs> it's all good faith go. you built, it's already that, gone. That all being said, here we are once again. Hey, RJ. Mm-hmm. Yo. We got, we got emails. Oh, good ones? Uh, we're going to find out. All right. First up, we got an email here from Rupa Granger. Oh, dear. Females. Uh, we got a title here. Sally Menke of Appreciation. <gasps> Who? Hey, creeps. Sorry I'm late to the Tarantino party. However, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood only came out in New Zealand yesterday. Oliver and I watched it last night, and although I did enjoy it somewhat, it cemented to me that Tarantino seems to have lost his touch. The last movie I really enjoyed of his was Inglorious Bastards, so I did a little digging, and I can't believe I missed the fact that Sally Menke, his editor, passed away from that after that movie. Hmm. I know most of you would have already been aware of this, but my mind was blown. It all makes sense to me now. So I thought I'd pass that on in case any other listeners were living under a rock like me. I don't even know who that is. Yeah, uh, I had forgot about that and hadn't thought about it. Because he's only, I mean, I guess movies that she hasn't edited, there's been the Westerns and uh, now uh, Once Upon a Time, right? I, but I guess it's like, yeah, like well, because it's like the other, uh, the, the one that comes immediately to mind is uh, Scorsese's uh, editor, uh, Thelma Schumacher. Shoemaker, however that's pronounced. Uh, yeah, yeah. She, like she's been working with her like in almost. That's it. And uh, David Lynch's uh, second wife edited for his films for ages, and then when they broke up, it seemed to be when he really lost the plot <laughs> when he made mm-hmm. Inland Empire. So, yeah, there's something about uh, that. And there's actually, I think, there's a precedent for actually a lot of uh, really uh, great female editors. That you know, hmm. editing is pretty important. RJ, I don't know if you knew that. I don't. I don't pay attention to movies. Fair, but maybe, uh, maybe it's that fine eye or something. Yeah, you know, fine. Women, eye. women have better fine motor control. <laughs> do you think that's got anything to do with it? Mm. That's a true thing. I'm not making that up. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I, I don't want to get all essential here. Gender essential. Well, I'm just. RJ. I mean, it, that's. It's a fact. So there you is go. It, is it a, is it a F capital F fact? No, it's it's a real yeah. thing. As and uh, yeah. Rupa continues with her oh. like her superior motor skills. <laughs> it's uh, it's true. And, and seeing I, I as promise. I'm here, here are my top three Tarantino movies. Number uh-huh. one, Jackie Brown. All right, I'm not sure if these are ranked. These are just the order they are. Jackie Brown, Death Proof. Hey, girl. Ooh. And Kill Bill 1 and 2, although I'm scared to rewatch these two after Jared's previous comments. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just, like, I mean, I've seen a lot of people have been rewatching Reservoir Dogs, and they all seem to like it a lot more than I did. I just mm-hmm. felt like it hasn't, I don't know, there's things about it that are like, oh, this is a little bit 90s try-hardy to me, but maybe I was just not, I don't know. Dogs. 
What about dogs? I don't know. They kill bills. What about kill bills? Part of part of kill so bill actually, too is pretty sweet. Actually, when I was talking to Andrea, she said kill bill was her favorite too. Yeah, I, I bet you it's a lot of people's, but I don't know how they. Uh, I don't know if they are so as, as awesome on this on the rewatch. <laughs> She said too, because she was like, "Is it?" She's like, "Is that the one where this happens?" I was like, "Yeah," and she's like, "Oh yeah, that's the one I really like." And I was like, "How long do you think it's been since you've watched that?" And she was like, "When it came out." Kill Bill, like, oh, Kill, yeah. Kill Bill One is the probably the first time I met Chanel. Damn, dude. No. Damn. No. And all but Inglorious Bastards we've seen in the theater together. What happened at Inglorious Bastards? She was in uh, Sketch One at the time. So you went by yourself, huh? Yeah, she was living in a different province. I saw that Inglorious Bastards just turned ten years this week. I had yeah. no idea it was yeah. ten years old already. Yeah, that movie, two thousand nine. Yeah, that's when she, 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 she was at grad school. So yeah, she went and saw that with her Saskatchewanian buddies, and I saw them. I saw it with my people that I still see movies with when I see do, movies. Do you think they were wearing bunny jumps? Mm, pretty sure they weren't. Okay, in the summer, you never know. It's Saskatchewan. Scotchatoony. Scotchatoony. Another email here. Oh, okay. We got an email here from Andrea Kremenik. Oh, it's, who's it, this? It's me. First time, long time? It's, it's me, Andy. This <gasps> oh, is, my this, God. This is Andy, a.k.a. the woman hater's wife, the Andy mm-hmm. Picks Andy, sending a mm-hmm. big thanks to super mm-hmm. sweetheart Jarrett Duncan. <gasps> Aww. And to all the friends of the creeps for their very thoughtful wedding messages. It's not always easy sharing RJ, the human fart, Baylog, hey. with the creeposphere. But knowing we have friends all over the world sure makes it all worthwhile. Creep on, love, Andy. I don't really appreciate this fart moniker that I've uh, adopted. I mean, I like farts that yeah. I didn't realize I was the is, fart. Is, is that why you love uh, Fellini now? Hey, hey, I never, I never said I like Fellini. All his movies are bad. They're all bad. Except the good ones. Except the good ones, yeah. Well, hey, that's nice. Uh, First time, long time, I bet, eh? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, see, it even moved Andrea to to write into the podcast that she's known about for years and years. That's right. See, it's a a beautiful thing. Well, that's nice to hear from a first time, long time. Mm -hmm. I wonder if she's single. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Colin Richards. Ooh. Baby. Is I'm, he a uh, first time? I'm so sorry. This totally oh. slipped my mind. This is, of course, in response to my <laughs> humble request I sent out to uh, people. Oh, right. I've been on a fishing trip the last few days. Big congratulations to RJ and Andrea. I wish you Thank two you. nothing but the best. Very Thank happy you. that one of the King Creeps now officially has a queen. Ooh. <laughs> I think she'll o- like that. O- officially. Uh, I wish her luck in putting up with all your talks of butts and dumps. Your She's favorite, so your far. favorite first time, long time listener, nice. Colin Richards. Nice. Well, I mean, I'm glad that he acknowledged it. Yeah. He, yeah. he, he owned up to it finally. I wonder what kind of fishing trip he was on. Do you think it was like an ice hut fishing thing in the middle of <laughs> August? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what kind of stuff he's into. Maybe he lives in Antarctica. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know where he lives. I don't look into our uh, fan base like you do. How, how you just think, knew Jackson well, lived I, I in Washington? I, I, I think that uh, I think that Colin recently mentioned seeing uh, a movie uh, in Chicago. Ch- Chicago, Chicago, a classic. Chicago, movie. I can't man. remember exactly what it was. Uh, I think it was actually Jimbo. 
Chicago, man. Cre- I've been Christ- to Chicago. Yeah, me too. I've been to that Chicago. What did you do when you were there? I uh, went to a comic. Re- actually, it was a, re- a comics retailer like mm-hmm. conference. <laughs> that sounds real. Uh, pretty much what you'd expect. But I got to go to the uh, uh, art institute, which was awesome. Got to see some real art, RJ. Yeah, I went to that place too. I went to see some art. I went to that. Just- went to that uh, big tower. Saw the big tower went up the elevator there. Oh, up the elevator. Oh, yeah, heck. Oh, heck. Right up that there elevator. Oh, dear. Yeah. I remember uh, I was, like, taking some photos of the architecture when I was walking around, and uh, mm-hmm. B- Bobby was with me, and he was like, oh, don't do that. You look like a tourist. You're going you're to get robbed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? Am I not supposed to, like, do anything? Because he doesn't, like, he doesn't care. He's, he's just, just put your head down and uh, don't even acknowledge that you're there. Yeah. People just, won't be able to tell. Yeah, I remember like walking, wanting to walk all over the place, and he was like, "Ugh, ugh." <laughs> People don't know who you're talking about, no. but it, he is a man who does not like to do things. He, he, his idea of traveling is just like, I will go to where the beach is, and I will sit and I will read books, like Ready what kind Player, of books? like Ready Player One. Oh dear! <laughs> declare the f- best book he's ever read. Oh dear! Next up, Justin oh. Peterson. There he Justin, is, friend of the show. Justin's questions for the creeps. Uh-oh. Hey, Jared and RJ. In response to Jared's comments about putting children in sleeper holds in order to get them to fall asleep so movie mm-hmm. watching time can begin, that yes. would take away uh, two. That would take way too long with three kids. So the trick is to use chloroform. Legal oh, disclaimer: okay. This last statement made was as a joke and in no way reflects my parenting style. Are you sure, Justin? Well, I mean, we sure? will never know for him. I mean, well, I'm d- doing a character for the show, mm-hmm. but. People who email in, we have no idea if they're authentic or not. Yeah. So after a few weeks of slacking off, I finally watched another Criterion Creeps movie recommendation, and it did not disappoint. I watched the trauma entertainment film The Toxic Avenger. For some reason, I always thought this movie was more mainstream since I recall seeing an original Nintendo game for it back in the day. Well, I mean, did we talk about that in the trauma episode? I don't even know if we got onto that part. I mean, we talked about Toxic Crusader, like the animated show. Yeah. And there was the video game and stuff, but. I think we did a little bit about how they, how it it was a weird marketing thing, even though the movie was like. Yeah, it was definitely his most, like his crossover movie though. Like people know what that is. So. His points here. The opening of this movie perfectly captured what comes to mind when RJ used to always talk about watching people work out at the gym. The practical effects <laughs> mm-hmm. were great, especially with all the heads getting smashed in and the main character turning into the Toxic Avenger, yeah. uh, which reminded me a lot of the transformation scene in American Werewolf in London. Overall, it was an entertaining yeah. mix of being a silly superhero and horror movie with how they showed him stalking evildoers before the big reveal of his face. Wow, does the main character act like the biggest putz ever before the toxic waste somehow turns him into this suave but hideous-looking superhero who continues to wear this burnt-up ballet tutu the rest <laughs> of the film? Yeah, Melvin, man. I, that dude is uh, hes quite the spaz kid. Spaz kid? Jerry, you got to be careful saying that now. Some some people don't like that spaz. Or was that Justin who said that? No, he said putz. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. yeah, you gotta be careful. Hey, here. one one day people are gonna come for the for putzes too. <clears throat> okay. Not today. Thanks, guys, for the recommendation. Next week mm. I'll be checking out a Jarrett pick where I report on Caligula. Mm. <laughs> oh, whoa! Uh, is Caligula Jarrett pick? I don't, I don't know. It must. That. He must be because he's going through back catalog. You must have brought it up oh, one point where you're man. like, I love Caligula. Uh, I don't know about that. It's definitely. Um, at, 
Yeah, no. I, I've I, heard you talk about Caligula multiple times. Multiple times. I'm like, I, I don't know if I have. Uh, it's definitely on the ghoul side. It's ghoulish. It's got some uh, some fisting. And it's got oh, one of the... Jared. <laughs> speaking of which, uh, just arrived in my mailbox this very day. Al Pacino in Cruising. Cruising. On Blu-ray from our fine friends of Arrow Video. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, they sent me a comp copy, real sweet of them. No, I didn't. They, no. I, I paid uh, real money for real that. Real money? But it's, every cent is worth it. And I believe, uh, RJ, you too received a copy of this. I had to get a copy of the movie that made me the sickest I've ever been in my entire life. Shit, physically. Yeah. Physically sick. Uh, maybe we'll watch it and we'll talk about it on the podcast I th- one day. I, I think we should do it in the, this next week. This perhaps. week, yeah. Maybe we could. Should we reach out to Billy Friedkin see if he wants to come on? <laughs> yeah, he had, he had some he had some very positive words about it on Twitter, yep. saying all other versions of vi- uh, home video are garbage. So, I mean, I'll, I'll reach. Someone should reach out to him. Well, this, we, he's he's on Twitter. This I'm is sure this is gotta it. be like one of the best week, like best like two weeks of uh, home video releases forever. Because uh, also from Screen Factory, we got a uh, Vice Squad with Wings Hauser mm. uh, playing. We see Ram, yeah Ramrod, fucking Ramrod in this Our bad Ramrod? boy. It's all these like great uh, urban blight films. Ooh. I know about urban blight. No. Anywho, well, the, the, is Justin's email still going? Yeah. Goat's okay. question of the week. Okay. What is your favorite movie of all time that is centered around a gimmick? What do you mean gimmick? Okay. So, you, so mine would have to be Future Creep, My Dinner with Andre, which blew me away by how cap- captivating a dinner conversation between these two guys became as the movie went along. Also, an honorable mention to that killer tire movie, Rubber, with its delightfully mm. weird meta-ness. Okay. Huh. I'll, I'll let RJ think about it. I'm going to continue reading these this year email, and I'll think of something. Okay. Uh, note for RJ about the Criterion channel. In response to him talking about how clicking on a certain spot on the timeline while watching on a computer results in the website just sitting there loading forever, I have found the trick is to just tap one of the arrow keys on your keyboard to fast forward or re- rewind a tad, which for oh, me shit. always gets it to begin playing promptly. That, Shit. Yeah, I mean, I'll yeah, try. Yeah, I mean that sounds right, but at the same time, when you're trying to grab like screen grabs, it's kind of like yeah. oh, you have to dick around a little bit. I guess you always just wind up rewinding. But mm-hmm. okay, there you go. I'll, I'll try it. Oh, yeah, that's a good tip. Well, it's like I said, there there's times where it's honestly I I would put it on in the background and it would be buffering for over thirty minutes, and it would, and I, I would just exit it. Oh, I was like, I'm not fucking doing this right now. So if you ever, if I, on the Instagram, if I ever have a really lame picture out there, it's because I couldn't get a screenshot off the uh, channel. Okay. Uh, finally. Yep. This week on a whim, I decided to watch my second John Waters film ever and future creep, Female Trouble. And while mm. looking at reviews afterwards, I came across a very interesting post on the film from Jarrett, who noted this was a movie that he dared to watch with his girlfriend after their first date. Which mm-hmm. brings up all sorts of questions. Did she know what she was in for with this movie, or did you just roll the dice? Um, I think she knew, right? She actually had this uh, on DVD that she had borrowed from her friend Amanda, who is a who is also the person who does the opening music for our podcast. Ooh, ugly cry club. Yep. Was it? Was were those words I just used just there? Yes, and okay, cor- good. And correctly, even. 
Uh, nice. Yeah, she had borrowed those, and uh, we had them, and I was like, yeah, let's watch it. Did she think it was funny, disgusting, or both? Both? Uh, yeah, Chanel yeah, usually like, is on board with those we're, movies, yeah, right? We were, yeah, oh, yeah. We we're, we're well uh, well into this uh, this abject John Waters, shocky exploitation horror crap. This is our jam. <laughs> Uh, did sh- did you proceed to watch more John Waters movies together afterward, or was a long, long break required along with many, many showers? Uh, thanks, guys, and have a great show. Uh, no, we were good. I mean, we watched it and went, oh, man. And then we just kind of like, I don't know if went we went to Humpty's. No, I think like maybe like a month or so later, we watched Polyester because it happened to be on like one of the cable stations at her uh, family in law's place when we were there mm-hmm. but that's about it um and then at some point we watched uh oh what's the movie the photographer one with edward Furlong. is it called the photographer no pecker 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 or becker uh, pecker i think it's pecker because everyone pecker? goes pecker yeah uh, and then when we were uh in vancouver the following year i bought a art book from john waters what was that like uh, lots of dicks. Pecker. Pecker. A lot of what? Uh, penises. Okay. A lot of, uh, what happened? A lot of John Waters things. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Very nice. Cool. You got any gimmicks for me? Uh, I mean, as far as I can tell, I don't, I'm not sure what the criteria are, but I would say, does Swiss Army Man count? Yeah. Does being a dead guy count as a gimmick? It's a bit of a gimmick. Well, I mean, when they were advertising it, they, everyone always said the farting corpse movie. Yep, yep. So uh, I, I'm going to say that one. Would that be high concept? Uh, I mean, in my in my world, it's high concept, but uh, I don't know if everyone else agrees with me. Mm. Some people don't like that movie, Jarrett. Yeah, and they're I know. wrong. They have some extreme thoughts. Yep. Maybe they're yeah. extremists. What do we got Maybe. here? Uh, that's good radio, I think. Yeah, I mean, people love just sound. I mean. In- I mean, a lot of things are kind of gimmicks, I suppose. Blair Witch Project, it's got that sure. uh, found footage gimmick that was uh, groundbreaking for its time and then became its mm-hmm. own genre in itself. Uh, Dogville, Dogville's got quite the gimmick from your, uh, I'm sure, new favorite director, Lars von Trier. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, yeah, Dogville would be in that. And uh, just, just having a skim here. Just having a skim. Oh, yeah. I guess that would be maybe my go-to. Let's just say Swiss Army Man. The Swiss Army Man for you? Yeah. No, for both of us. For both of us? Yeah. I'm just sure. making decisions for you. Sure, pal. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think Blair Witch is a pretty good answer. You're a big advocate of that movie. Uh, I am an advocate. So why not? I am an advocate. So why the heck not, man? Uh, do, no, I'd say Dogville, though, because that's even more... That's, that movie's... Pretty... I don't even know what Dogville's about. I don't know what you're referring to, gimmick. Uh... You just you, if you watch the trailer, you'd be like, "What?" <laughs> like it's yeah, okay. yeah. It, it's basically it's all shot on a open set um, where they've like put uh, mm. like not like not shock, but like they, they've like it's like it, it's in a town, but there's no walls in the town. There's no doors. It's just like actors in this like like a stage set, and it somehow works really well. It's uh, mm, debatable. It, it's it's a uh, I don't know. Some people also uh, kind of like Swiss Army Man. They dislike that movie, but man. I think it's an American classic, RJ. I like saying things like that. Oof. American classic. American classic. Yeah. People say that about us. Just like Leonard Moulton. Who? Finally. Yep. Jackson. 
Actium Jackson Maximus. Do yeah. you think he's ever going to watch that movie? I hope. Uh, I hope so too. His email, gaze, greats, <gasps> genres, and god-awful guidance. Hey, creeps. Mm. In regards to last week's discussion about Nightmare on Elm Street 2, I don't see this queer subtext either, but that pool scene is mm-hmm. great. Yes, it is. Yes, Responding to last is. week's uh, GOAT question, the best, best winner or sorry, the best, best picture winner, in my opinion, okay. is The Deer Hunter. It stands out Ooh, uh, uh, among the other winners and is the closest example of a perfect three-hour film. Debatable. Hmm. I don't know. I, I have not seen Deer Hunter in forever. I watched it when I was like grade 10 in high school, and I definitely want to rewatch it. And I do remember uh, Jackson asking uh, for our thoughts on it, and it is still in my to-watch pile. Uh, what, The Deer Hunter? Yes. It's, it's joined uh, Julian Donkey Boy. Uh, as far as movies that I need yeah. to revisit sooner than later, uh, yeah, I would have to watch. I, I think I saw it as a kid. I wouldn't. I couldn't even tell you what Deer Hunter is about. That's how long it's been. Be freaking uh, man! All I know is for near perfect three hour movies. You ever seen the uncut uh, version of of uh, Encino Man? Uh, That's a pretty perfect uh, yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think so. I don't know. In a perfect world, Continue. the big the Big Lebowski would win. But if we're mm-hmm. being reasonable, I would say that the Elephant Man was snubbed against ordinary people. Oh, totally. Yeah, that would. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jared asked what type of music us listeners listen to. Ooh. Ooh. Recently, I've been listening to Aphex Twin, the dungeon synth genre, thanks to the recommendation last week. Yeah. Mm. And the new album, Infest the Rat's Nest. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh girl. Uh, my question this week is, what is the worst movie your co-host has ever recommended you watch? Keep up the great work. Jackson from Washington, but Jared already knows where I live, apparently. Yeah, see? Everyone <laughs> thought that was weird. I don't know. There was something that, like, something early on, no. something about Washington State. No, everyone thinks you're a weird dude. No. Uh, <laughs> and if any, so it's nice I, It's nice to hear from Jackson. Uh, I have to say, uh, if anyone would like to know about the movies that I hate, that Jarrett made me watch, uh, I can direct you to my letterbox called Movies I Hate that Jarrett made me watch. Um, (laughs) They are not ordered necessarily, but uh, they're all bad. And and it's debatable whether or not I made you watch some of these. These are things where you're like, you messaged me like on a Friday, hey, should I watch this or this? And I go, watch that. And that's like somehow on me. Which one was that one? It's like Apollo 15 or something oh yeah that one uh that one apollo 18 was not an actual jr recommendation and there's like and yeah you, there's, there's some questionable movies uh that are jared picks tagged and i have some uh some issues with this as well i understand yeah but jared picks don't mean that they're recommendations from you some of them are but some of them are just movies that when i think of jared those are the kinds of movies i think about i see do you see Kind of like all the creatures are stir- were stirring a movie you legitimately made me watch, which is just uh, that was like you sent me because a I, copy of the what, movie. No, to no, watch hey, it. hey, no, no, I didn't do in the any, mail. I, a legally purchased. Oh, copy. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. I sent you a copy in the mail. Yeah, you did. Well, because okay. they have Blu-rays. Don't what they? is the worst movie, RJ, in the time of Letterboxd that you've said for me to watch? <laughs> Do you have mm. RJ picks? Oh yeah, picks? oh yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah, I do, buddy. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, Wishmaster Two: Evil Never Dies wasn't so. Ooh, no, there we go. No. I I got it. I got it. Okay. Spawn. 
<laughs> What's wrong with Spawn? Spawn so bad. Spawn's pretty good. Spawn so I, bad. I thought you were going to say Nacho Libre. And that was a rewatch too. Uh, S- Sorceress, RJ? Remember I Sorceress? Everyone is wrong oh, about Sorceress. Nah. Everyone who, who's not giving Sorceress four stars is wrong. Bio, okay? Biocop? Oh, you know what? I, I mean, Biocop was good. I don't the, know what your deal with Biocop I think the, the, taint, the taint would belong in here, I think, too, arguably. I, I never asked. I, I was going to watch watch that regardless. That's true. Yeah. Um, see, I, I could be like, be like a jerk and be like, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Which is this movie that's just like that's a good show. It's not my thing, but uh, yeah. it was like there. Uh, yeah, yeah, no Spawn. I think Spawn. That's fine. You can. I mean, Spawn's awesome, and uh, I think you're going to alienate a lot of fans right now by shitting on Spawn. Well, I'm, I'm, just, so, I'm just waiting for uh, Tom McFarlane to like really uh, save the franchise with his own directorial uh, vision to finally up in, to finally up in nail the air, everything. Though it sure is up in the air. Uh, I would just like to say that I think every movie Jarrett makes me watch is bad, probably. No. No, nothing stands out, though? What? Of bad movies? Yeah, what's the worst movie? Come on. The two I talk about all the time, Gummo and Happiness. I understand that people love those movies and that you love those movies. Great movies. Uh, I will never, ever in my life watch either of those two movies again. Wait till they're part of the collection. I I won't do it. I won't do it. There's not nothing that says I have to. I didn't watch Walkabout. Remember that? <laughs> you did. Though. I didn't. Well, I did once. Yeah. But I didn't rewatch. Yeah, you it. don't. Yeah, you don't need to rewatch that movie. Yeah, I didn't yeah. rewatch. Uh, yeah, I would say those two probably because the other uh, movies I hate were. I mean, you made you you told me to watch Mute. Mute was pretty bad. And then. What else did you? <laughs> I told, yeah, I, mean, I told you to watch it so I wouldn't have to. That, yeah, that, that was strategic planning. That wasn't a recommendation, though. Like, no, ha- but you happy, made me see, watch it. Happiness and Gummo are straight up recommendations. Yep. Um, so, and then you you made me watch the Planet of the Apes remake. Is that correct? When did I watch that? The Tim- yeah, that's another one of those like, hey, what should I watch? And I went, yeah, you should totally watch that thing because you like, or you were watching it all. I'm like, well, you might as well. I just- I just finished. It was uh, so Burton. I just looked. Um, it was right before we watched the Night Porter, which is another. <laughs> so that was a, that's a great. Oh, week God for damn, me. God damn. See, this is why Letterboxd is fun because it you is. Can see oh, it. yeah, that's like no. I I this time of your it, life. It, it, it's moments like this when you go back and you're like, hey, I remember what I was doing at that point in time too. Like it all comes I, back because you don't realize how like bad your sense of time is until you actually go back through through like a diary and you're like what the shit but i mean because of letterbox i'm able to date exactly when i got my kitty cat so yeah that's cool because i got you- I, I watched uh whatever it was, was it before midnight the uh the third before movie and then uh one oh, got right when picked up a cat at the shelter on new year's eve and what did i do after that watch pain and gain that is pretty special uh, I know that when we got our second cat, Winnie, uh, I just watched. It was either the night of or the night be, the night of or the night before. I watched Kill List. So whenever that, <laughs> that was good. Nice. Which has a, a, a egregious cat scene, but hey, you know what I just noticed too. So I've been backtracking now to uh, July 2017 because of that Planet of the Apes thing, and uh, just a couple days after, I watched Encino Man. Which I was just talking about, which I find crazy. 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 P.S. Oh. I'd, I'd like to defend my position on Mishima, 
More specifically, Ooh, Glass's score. It is nowhere near as good as Koyanos on his quad C as it's not as varied and the instrumentation feels out of place at moments within the film your take down in my opinion offended me more than those blatantly racist Italian accents you guys frequently use I'll be listening to the score on its own to see if it has a better effect on me but I remain unconvinced of its apparent excellence um I don't know I mean I just I just thought it was really good right yeah I I don't know I I, I, it's a I like uh, it I don't know I know I mean if he doesn't like it that's cool whatever it's, it's, yeah i'm um maybe i'll i mean i'm not going to start playing it over every episode from uh, now on <laughs> do you, uh my question for jackson is uh do you, has he seen Candyman? does he know about that philip glass score Ooh, that's got some good sweet sweet tracks i would say See, if if he hasn't watched that he could watch it now or save it for creeptober but candy has got a pretty pretty tight tight soundtrack by uh, see, mr philip glass and Candyman's one of those movies that i think uh depending on uh your age it's a movie that gets better every time you go back and watch it because that's what's happened yeah. with me the first time i watched it i was like meh the next time i watched it I went oh third time i watched it oh it's like mm. hellraiser oh it's a grower but yeah and, that, and now i i listen to that soundtrack all the time i love that i like i like that phil glass what hellraiser and well, that's uh, Christopher Young, but uh, oh. uh, Hell Blake, yeah, Blake, those Barker movies, they get better when you go back. Uh, and yeah, and Phil mm-hmm. Glass, his uh, score on Dracula is quite good. Which one? Uh, Nineteen thirty-one. He just he did he did a score for that bad boy. I was uh, yeah. Did he? You did, and it's on the Universal DVD. As a are we still talking about option. Phil Glass? Yeah. How old is Philip Glass? He did it after the words. He, re, he does. Well, see that. Words. That's. I mean, we're, I thought you were saying that he made the score in 1930 for the like, for the 1931 movie. He made a in score the remastered for it. edition. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's not even remastered. He just put us. He, he scored it. He scored because it was a silent film before. Yes. Well, no. It's well. It was a silent film, but it had like a generic uh, universal. Uh, he just put some classical music over things. Wasn't it kind of like with, don't, audio? But don't know. Yeah, exactly. That's. I mean, that's what Mozart sounds like, essentially. He's, he. I mean, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, did you know Philip Glass scored the Church? That's pretty cool. The Church. Oh, what? No. Yeah, it's a horror movie. No, he did not. He's credited for it. Mm, that seems weird. I don't think that's. I can't possibly be. Accurate. Maybe go and change it then. I don't know. That seems weird. Unless there's like he's also credited for Lasagna Cat. That can't be right. Oh, I'm sure someone used some of his music in it, and maybe that's the other case. But yeah, as, as far as like original scores, no. Okay. Nah, nah. And then uh, then you get the there's like knockoff Phil Glass, the guy that uh, uh, Errol, Errol Morris uses because uh, he did the Thin Blue Line score, and then he couldn't mm-hmm. get Phil Glass anymore, so he got a guy that makes music that sounds exactly like Phil Glass, but just a little bit off. And I can't remember his name right now. Is it by any chance Dan Harbert? No. (laughs) Well, that's whoever composed Gates of Heaven. What's I'm on Phil or I'm, I'm on Errol Morris's page right now. Uh, Look, look, uh, what, what fog of war? He probably did. Who looked, who did the score for that? For the fog of war, the composer was Philip Glass. That doesn't work. Let's go to tabloid. People love when we just read out stuff, right? Factoids. Hey, we're doing our research right now. John Kuziak? Uh, 
That doesn't ring a bell. No. Well, brief history of time. Maybe. No, that's Phil Glass. That's Phil Glass. No, but there's a guy that like he winds up working shit. with. Damn American it. Dharma. That looks new. That's got the oh, what's Shannon in it. Oh god. Paul damn. Leonard Morgan. No, man. Maybe I'm just out hey, well, to lunch maybe here. Maybe he just made some shit up. I don't well, know. Well, yeah. fine. Whatever. No, I am. I'm just you make shit up. Shit. Who cares? I just make up facts. I don't. I don't say anything real on this podcast. Damn it. Damn. Okay, moving Whatever. on. Moving on. Hey, RJ. Yeah. What you been what? creeping on this week? Uh, some stuff. Yeah. I guess. What do you want to hear about? Tell me about Dancer in the Dark. Dancer in the Dark. Well, <laughs> this was a, a creeper's wreck. <laughs> Friend of the show, Justin Peterson, was like, hey, you should watch that Dancer in the Dark. Marzahn sure is pretty good. It's I've a, only yeah you've only what? seen that uh, element of crime element of ass more like that movie <laughs> sucks uh, so yeah I mean everyone's hot on this Lars Van Trier guy uh, I've only ever just I see his movies on the surface level and I'm just kind of like I don't know if I would like these like Antichrist and the house that Jack built and the Nymphomaniac movies like just looking at at the yeah nymph- Nymphomaniac's not a rj business like just any of those like looking it's like i said surface level it's like i don't think i like this guy i don't think i like him but then <clears throat> i didn't know anything about this dance in the dark movie mm-hmm. but as soon as i saw that uh, our girl bjork was in it i was like hey bjork which by the way i gotta say i don't know if you ever noticed this but i think uh chanel looks like bjork uh her- dancer in the dark you should, yeah. Her uh, older sister Lacey looks a lot like Bjork. Are they Icelandic? No, they're uh, they're not. <laughs> but well, well, anyways, I I was watching this movie when Bjork's got her glasses on. I was like, she looks like Chanel. No, that's uh, yeah, that's been mentioned before. It's it's uh, good. There's something I, to it. I'm glad I'm not out to lunch there. So, dancer in the dark, Jared. For people out there who don't know, because I didn't. It's about a Czech immigrant. Bjork. Mm-hmm. She's working in this factory, this mill of a place uh, where she's making like, what would you call those? Textiles? Yeah, textile. working at the old textile like plant. Yeah, so she's doing that kind of stuff. Uh, she's got flights of fancy. She mm-hmm. she likes musicals. She's in the local theater production of uh, something. I mean, the music's really popular, but I don't know musicals all that well other mm-hmm. than Six Sister Act, so I couldn't tell you what it is. Uh, she's in that. She's got a kid. She really likes her kid. Mm-hmm. They're really poor. Uh, and she's going blind. Yeah. And it is a con- con- gen- congenital? Congenial? Yeah, something disease? like that. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah. You're, you're almost there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, so she knows that her son is going to get this disease too. So she's been saving up money. From the factory, she does some side gambits. She's got all this money tucked away, and she's like, you know what? When he turns 13, he's allowed to have the operation that will make it so he's not blind. I'm save up this money. But at this moment, she's going blind, and she's still working in the factory. And as she mentions many times, many times, she's like, I, she's like, this is mindless work. We can do it with our eyes closed. She, and so she does. But she does sometimes daydream and make mistakes. On the side. You have her landlord who lives in a trailer beside her trailer, David Morse, mm-hmm. playing infamous bad guy, David Morse from Contact, from The Rock, from 
Disturbia. That's David Morse, baby. He's a bad guy. Did you know that, Jared? Is he, is he, is he the dude that's in Green Mile? Oh, yeah. He's yeah. in Green Mile. Yeah, he's in a ton of Stephen yeah. King things, actually. looking. So he's in Green Mile, Horns, which isn't Stephen King, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, Langoliers, Hearts in Atlantis. Oh, shit. Could be more. I'm not going to look through all these. Uh, so anyways, David Morris, good actor. He's a bad dude in this. Uh, you also have my favorite actor, Peter Stormare. Mm-hmm. Love that guy. He really likes Bjork, and he just offers to give her a ride home every day. Mm-hmm. He's not aggressive. He's not forceful. He's not like, hey, babe, show me your tits. He doesn't say anything like that. He, <laughs> you know? He's just kind of like, do you want a ride? I'll take you. I'll give you a ride if you don't want to walk. He's a nice guy. I, I think one thing that just came to mind is uh, uh, last time I watched this, I think Chanel might have watched it with me or was around, and we were like, oh, you know, you and I, we, we basically dressed like uh, like recent immigrants. <laughs> recent immigrants. That's all we oh. had. That's our dress style, at least at well, the time I mean, we watched it. But I, Well, I mean, something had to have stuck, right? No. And then you have uh, Good Guy Doctors, uh, Stellan Skarsgård and Udo Kier. They're all here. They're all here, Jared. So anyway, she's like, I don't know how much should I like talk about this movie. I don't know. Talk about it. How's it? Well, how, she, how, how was it, RJ? Uh, well, Jared, it was good. Yeah, I liked it. It's yeah. uh it's actually a, it's a very good show. Yeah. Um. So Lars Van Trier is now batting five hundred for me. Uh, Element of Crime is still just horseshit, but the Dancer in the Dark is really good. Uh, it's super sad and depressing <laughs> uh and bleak which is like i remember someone brought up lars van Trier to me once where they're like i don't know if i i don't think i give this off but i actually have like a pretty nihilistic viewpoint of things where it's just like i think i've mentioned on the show nothing really matters like you know everyone sucks people are horrible uh and like someone was like i think you'd like lars van Trier movies because he really touches into that and i was like well i don't know it's like I have those feelings, but I don't know if I need to like see that and like just like endorse that even more. But uh, this is one of those ones that I can get behind where it's like, it's like, yeah, people fucking suck. And it's like, this is the kind of shit that happens all the time. Like, I mean, not it's not like a lady going blind who gets robbed and then has to kill a guy. Mm-hmm. But like there is like really <laughs> shitty people who would like rob a blind lady. Like, you know what I mean, Jared? Mm-hmm. That happens every day. So, uh, yeah, this movie, is, it's really good. I really liked the story. Uh, it's, I mean, it makes you feel bad. Uh, and I think uh, <laughs> yeah. I think part of the reason is, it's like I said, because it's real. And it's just like, yeah, that shit happens a lot. Uh, but it also has, uh, I do think, like, her little uh, flights of fancy where she goes into the musicals is, uh, it's really great because it's like, yeah. People need things to escape. Like some people like musicals. Some people come home and drink nine beers or play video games or like, you know, do whatever. Read Stephen King. Read Stephen King novels while drinking nine beers and then crying on the phone with Jarrett. I mean, whatever you do to unwind, it's fine. But uh, I the use of it in this movie, I think, is really well done where it like it glosses over most of the the really bad parts, like when she gets arrested and, and stuff like that. Uh, because, like, in her mind, she, like, escapes from it. So that's really well done. Um, I like 
I like all the actors. I like this story. I think Bjork is awesome. Uh, I really like Bjork. Um, I think we've talked about Spike Jones's music videos before, yep. like maybe on the Beastie Boys thing. But uh, mm-hmm. like her her music videos, that's uh, music videos that Spike Jones made. Like I think that was the first time I ever saw Bjork, and I was like, God damn, Bjork! It's like <laughs> that's a weird name. Bjork. <laughs> uh, Bjork. Um, so yeah, Dancer in the Dark's really good. The only thing I don't like is uh, the way it's filmed. And I feel like the reason for that, like, because it all seems, it seems like it's filmed on like a handheld. And I think the reason for that is to bring it down to like their level where it's all these like kind of common people. And like, I think that's the idea where it's like these people who have these regular jobs. And then like, even the way the musicals are kind of like brought out where it's, it's very, because it's like in her head it's not like the most this, like high, uh, high it, thing it, where it, it was, lots yeah. of stuff. big it was, production is what I yeah. mean. It was also being, cause so this is like that, uh, it's been a while. Cause I think this was also shot digitally, like on digital cameras yeah. at the time, because this was kind of that post dogma 95 stuff where he gotcha. is, he's stripping movies back and, uh, trying to make these movies on your own low key. He's like, I'm going to make a musical, but I can do, you can do a musical like this. And so he was mm-hmm. shooting stuff like on this lower grade, uh, film stock because that was part of the challenge was trying to make these movies like that. So I think that's what you're yeah. responding it's, to. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's, that's the only thing, like I, I get it for, uh, the store, uh, the movie standpoint, like mm-hmm. where, like it fits in with the movie where it's kind of like, the cameraman is like a person dropped in just like watching it. And like, that's how the camera moves around. But I kind of, I would have just preferred if it was shot like a real movie, but maybe that would have, I don't know. Like a real movie. Like a real movie. Like, I don't know. Like, like commando. Yeah. Like fucking commando. So anyways, dancer in the dark is great. Um, Justin Peterson uh, recommended it. So I did it. I liked it. It's a good show. You want to hear about Commando, baby? <laughs> yeah, I want to hear about Commando. So I'll just talk about Commando briefly. Uh, after a week of Stan Brackage, <laughs> and then our next creep, uh, going to the theater with you uh-huh. to watch a three-hour fucking movie. Two and a half. Uh, a three-hour fucking movie from Ari Aster, who uh, I've or- I'm already on the fence with uh, because of Hereditary. After all that, I was like, you know what? The whole time I was watching Midsommar, uh, I was kind of just like, and I told you this as soon as we left, and you're like, what? What are you talking about? The whole time watching Midsommar, I was like, I wish I was watching Commando. And you're like, what do you, you're like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I was like, I know that's very weird, but I was like, just after four hours of fucking by brackage and then two and a half hours of Midsommar, I was like, I need a complete cleanse. I need to get rid of, like, just get all of this off of me. I was like, I'm watching fucking Commando. So I came home, popped in my Blu-ray, and fuck, man, Commando fucks real, real hard. You know what I mean, Jerem? I actually, I need to edit this. I should take it. I have a movies that fuck category. Let me take that in there, movies. Yeah, yeah there it is. It's like Night Beast. It fucks. Commando's awesome. I don't know. I remember you're like, well, Commando's pretty good. And it's like, I don't know if you know, Jared. When was the last time you watched Commando? Uh, Lawrence and I watched Commando in, oh God, ages ago when I was kind of like on a kick of watching Schwarzenegger movies initially. This would have probably been like 2003. 
three. I, I, Lawrence could correct me or let me know. Uh, but that's when I watched it. It was like we were on a kept watching Total Recall for the first time, like start to finish. And I remember watching Commando and being like, oh. Because you know what? Like the, the peak, like B. Arnie is mm-hmm. Running Man for me. Running Man's awesome. Yeah. I, but uh, Commando is kind of like, oh. It's the absolute shits, though, is uh, Raw Deal. I think that movie's like really yeah. not good. I know the, the worst Schwarzenegger movie, though, is Red Sonia. Horrible, horrible yeah. thing. But I mean, no yeah, one's Com- gonna argue with you. Yeah, that. Uh, also, I, the only other really thing I remember about Commando is uh, there's muscles. There's there's Benny. Yeah. Die Benny. And oh, you mean uh, Oliver Granger? <laughs> oh, and uh, uh, it's, it's written by uh, Jeff Loeb, the writer it of is? Batman Long Halloween. <laughs> Long Halloween. Maybe and, that's uh, why I like it. So and the much. director of Class of 1984. Yes, and uh, that guy directed a bunch of like he did Firestarter, and then like a bunch of weird like new late 2000 like cgi things like pterodactylosaurus and shit so it's like oh that sucks Uh, i'll just address this since i brought it up benny vernon wells is oliver granger Uh, i mean i've never seen oliver granger in real life but i feel like he does wear mesh tank tops with a leather vest over top and leather pants uh it was just he's australian and i know oliver's not australian but uh when that guy was talking i was like hey this guy reminds me of Oliver Granger. Were you thinking that like maybe Oliver's got to get jacked? I mean, well, Benny's got like a pretty big gut. Benny's <laughs> kind of like a fat guy. <laughs> Is that like a roid belly though? Oh, it could be. And like that's, I think that's like the only knock on this. It's like when Benny and Arnie are fighting, <laughs> it's it's not really believable because you're like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Is this? immaculate fucking human and this benny guy is just this fat lard in like a chain meal <laughs> tank top with like a leather vest mesh <laughs> it, yeah and it's like it's not super like you're like there's no way this guy could beat up arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> but i okay commando is fucking awesome i turned it on and in the first like the opening so the opening sequence is awesome it's bill duke going around just fucking murdering people and you're like god damn bill duke's a bad dude um, but then what you have, Jared, and yes, that's Bill Duke, director of mm-hmm. Sister Act Two, Back in the Habit. Yep. Uh, so you have him going around killing people, and then it cuts to um, like boots walking in the grass, and then it cuts to a bicep flex, and then it cuts to like a like a neck muscle flex, and then it's Arnold Schwarzenegger carrying an entire fucking tree yep. walking through the forest, and she's like commando, and you're just <laughs> like as soon as. I turned this on. I was like, I made the right call here. Yeah, <laughs> I did the right thing. Commando is awesome. Uh, every, I I love everything about Commando. Like, um, the best best thing is when he goes to infiltrate uh, like the Guatemalan. I don't know if they ever say like what country this guy's trying to take back. I just assume he's like Guatemalan or something because like <laughs> always assume like, Guatemala. <laughs> Yeah, Guatemala is usually the one that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he's like infiltrating that place and uh, he goes into the tool shed, like that's that should be a movie on its own. Like, I don't know. It's kind of a bummer that Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't do any like horror movies because when well, he comes he, down, he made Maggie. Why? Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So he drops down. He throws those fucking like uh, weed eater blades, like those little saw blades. He scalps a guy, which mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. I was like, I don't, I was like, I knew he killed guys with that, but like it, you see a guy get scalped and you're like, whoa. And then he comes out with an axe and he axes a guy in the dick and then he machete offs another guy's arm. 
It's amazing. Are you sure you're describing Commando or a Stan Brackett short? Who can even tell anymore? I, They're I, so I similar. Yeah. They're so similar. Uh, Commando's awesome. If you don't like Commando, fuck you. I say that in uh, complete sincerity. I mean, if you don't like it, that's fine, whatever. But mm-hmm. I think Commando is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. It could be. Maybe I need to rewatch it. I, I think just, you should. Yeah. I think you I think you went in at the wrong time because you just watched uh, Total Recall, which is like top tier. Like Commando's got some goofy See, shit. Like the so. one-liners don't always land. Yeah. But I think all the action in Commando makes up for it. Yeah. We'll see. I'll lend it to you. I, I, I've got it. I've got. I've got the. I've got an old DVD of it. Maybe I gotta up my uh, res though and get get some uh, some 1080p. Out of blue, baby. If you want, you let me know. Mm, we'll see. We'll see. So should we uh, talk about yeah. Midsummer? Yeah. Or? Let's rip, let's tear the bandaid off. Okay. Mid- why don't you lead the way? I don't know. So uh, I was I bullied RJ into watching Midsummer. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know what? That's what we do on this podcast. We watch horror yep. movies together. We try. We try to get to we the try. theater. We miss a lot. But uh, this one, everyone in the world seen it. And everyone's got opinions. Everyone. Mm-hmm. But it seems like a lot of opinions be that Ari Aster is like the new voice of artisanal horror in these uh yep. in these parks he's up there with that Jordan Peele they're just like mm-hmm. they're changing the landscape they're saving horror you, mm-hmm. all the all the thought pieces are out there folks you can read them all for yourself uh this shit annoys me so bad cuz i i'm watching these movies by these mm-hmm. guys and i'm like they're okay at yep. most that they're like they're flawed though too but who knows mm-hmm. 20 years from now i might go back and be like oh i really like i was I, these, those people were right i was mm-hmm. so wrong who knows but right now living in the moment that hereditary man that movie i have no idea what how people can love it it's just like so <laughs> such a mess and uh i went into midsummer being like hmm well we'll, we'll give him another try Mm-hmm. We'll see how it goes. And you know what, RJ? I'd say that for about half of the movie, I was kind of on board with it. I was kind of like, mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, this is okay. This is interesting. And then after Hammer Time, uh, yep. it really just went into like, wh- like who wrote this? <laughs> like, there's some, there's some mm-hmm. serious like, pro- like sh- shit in here that you're like, oh, he just like he wrote himself into a corner. And it's like, and yep. it reminds me, RJ, fittingly enough, of D and D campaigns, like okay. or, or like role playing games, where you have some big moment where if any re- reasonable human being saw something like this, you mm-hmm. would you would react accordingly and get the fuck out, call the cops, like do any, any move, get well, out, so clear out. But no, but there's like this sort of like half ass conceit of why they stick around. And I mean, like I don't know, horror movies for ever and ever have this sort of thing where people maybe do something irrational because if yeah. you need them to stick around but this yep. seemed like like really it's, sloppy I it's ridiculous yeah. so i i find there's even like i think he's going for a deeper meta context there where the brit like the english people are the ones that react but the americans don't and i like i think he has more like political statements in this thing which i'll, I'll get to a little yeah. bit later but like i think it's more bullshit like that like because it is like he does try to write it off where it's like we should he's like this is the thesis of a lifetime 
there's all this talk about like making this thesis and it's like what do these guys fucking do because like i don't know i wrote a thesis i have a, a degree and like the way they were talking about it i was like okay so they're anthropologists and it's like yeah. like part of the re- story is that this guy doesn't the one guy doesn't take it seriously but like the way they talk it's like you'll never get it peer reviewed and I was like, what <laughs> you and me both just look, looked at each other and I'm like what like so, that's so, such yeah, a so, like a 2019 <laughs> fucking statement. So, you know, sometimes uh, there's people who uh, have mentioned that like oh, I don't know if I'd want to see a movie with you because like <laughs> like but to, to you like, or yeah, to me the people yeah. say like, I don't know if I want to see a movie with you because I feel like you'd be really harsh and you'd mellow my movie. I'm like, well, that's is that my problem or yours? <laughs> like, or is it yeah. the movie? Or maybe it's the movie's problem. And I'll just like I'll, I see things and then I go. Ugh, and like I'm that person. Maybe I'm annoying as shit to other people, but it's not like I'm like, oh my god, out loud and doing things like that. I, I I simmer internally and I start thinking, and then I become totally distracted by my own line of thinking while I'm watching mm-hmm. a movie. And I, I just, think I'm more responsive than you are. Yeah, well, there was like I, I don't there, do anything and, like crazy. And, either, and then there's but. things that happen to movies where I just start laughing because I'm like, oh, RJ, look, there's mm. a there's a phone ringing loudly. <laughs> That's it's so so fucking stupid. That's there's how you a, start a movie. A is just this loud pretty, phone. Fairly early on, right off I the just, bat, pretty much. And uh, then we have bears in cages. And then you have like graphics of oh, here's a bear burning alive, and you go oh, like, oh I wonder what's gonna happen. <laughs> but then it's like, but then there's a twist on it. See, so anyway, so Midsummer for, for those for those who are out of the loop who haven't seen Midsummer. I think like every single person who listens to this podcast has seen this has yeah. seen this movie already. Maybe I'm getting like too. Maybe we're coming off strong, at least for me. I don't know. So this movie starts off with uh, a girl. She mm-hmm. uh, She's trying to get a hold of her parents. And we have this scene where her parents appear to be asleep. And she's worried about her sister because she sent this enigmatic, like, text message or email saying that I'm going to go with mom and dad. We're going to a dark place. Bye. And then she's really like upset about it. She can't get a hold of anybody. She calls her boyfriend who seems to be like a, like a third or fourth option. She begrudgingly calls him and she's having a conversation with him through tears. And he's just like, uh, yeah, I'm hanging out with my friends right now. Uh, this is kind of inconvenient. And then starting to lay the groundwork that, Hey, this relationship is not so great. And, uh, I think it's, uh, Ari Aster is in this Todd Solon's territory when it comes to the drama side of things where Mm -hmm. he has a pretty good grasp of that, uh, at least like on a theatrical play level of how that, that cringy domestic stuff that I actually like in movies Mm -hmm. like carnal knowledge or something like that. I've talked about this before. Yep. Uh, how people interact and talk to one another. He has a pretty good grasp of that material here where it's just like, yep. but but it's almost like I, you don't see either side though. Like at no point does boyfriend, uh, not Chris Pratt, I'll call him. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he just comes off as horrible. Like, it's not like even, it's not her. She just seems to be like, you know, Oh, as it turns out, her sister has uh, killed herself and her parents. Um, and she's having a hard time. She's having a hard time of it, hard run of it. And she's mm-hmm. like, you know, not finishing school. And her boyfriend was probably about, about to break up with her. But now he's put into the position of, oh, my girlfriend's family's dead. So uh, I guess I better stick it out. Otherwise, I look like a bad guy. People mm-hmm. people do this sort of thing. But uh, then there's like the, sh- the slimy things of like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm going on this trip. But I just happened to mention it like a week out before because it was accidentally brought up. But I, I just hadn't broached the topic. Oh, I'm not. I'm going 
going to be gone for like weeks. So mm-hmm. it, all these little things, you're like, yeah, this is something that uh, it's not that long. It's just a month and a half. Uh, all this stuff is just all this little bit of setup, and like some yeah. might say, it's like this drags, but you know, it's well, it was well done. Like it's like all set up, but this guy's buddies all just come off as just losers. Like it's like not mm-hmm. not very appealing people. And I mean, I'm the first person to say like, you know what? People don't have to be likable in a horror movie, but this movie doesn't like play in the way that horror movies do, where that's not necessarily an important thing. But we're stuck with them for a long periods of time and they kind of act as sillyly as any other like straight horror movie and this is supposed to be a more intelligent uh, landscape changing horror film and it's like no it's not quite there it's just kind of like us at times uh, where Mm -hmm. these things just kind of bother me Uh, there's one of my major issues with this movie is the 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 audio the, the sound of this thing it is so fucking loud intentionally loud because mm-hmm. it's supposed to shake you and make you like uncomfortable. And I'm like, no, fuck that. Like I was thinking, I was actually thinking about your comments about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, mm-hmm. which you were watching in your house and it was so goddamn loud and you had to turn it down so low much because it was just disrupting everything. And I'm like, yeah, yeah this movie, there was like at the end of the movie, I was just like, I had a, such a like, not a migraine, but like a headache going on. And like my eye was twitching. And I was like, I want to get out of here. Like movie wrap up right now, please. Cause it was mm-hmm. so loud, but it's like trying to get under your skin. And, uh, oh man, the, the climax, it's another one of those Suspiria climaxes where and the heredi- they really go for it. Heredi- hereditary has it. This has hereditary it. really goes the, for the, it. These, these big endings that people seem to really, really like, but it doesn't it doesn't feel earned and uh it feels nope. it feels real hollow kind of like these hollowed out bodies um and yeah i don't which know which is like i'm kind of bouncing around here a little bit yeah. girl and her boyfriend and his friends they all go to on this trip to sweden for a research th- uh trip it's for their thesis jared they for, stayed for, it for many times yep with a guy who's like hey come back and hang out to my family in sweden um Mm-hmm. And uh, and I assume that none of these people told their family members where they were going and going to Sweden, yeah. uh, because I mean, there's no way that this little community could do this year after year uh, if they didn't bring back people who just you know selfishly never told their family. You know, I'm sure some people don't tell their families when they go on vacation. It's like but it's like no one ever when they get about six a year. It's a host- no one. It's a yeah, hostile host- type deer deer there. Yeah, yeah, and it's just, no one was like, hey, I'm going to Sweden. And then when they never show up again, like these people are like, we've been doing this for 90 years. And you're like, okay. Yeah. All right. Jorgen, Jorgen. Jorgen, Jorgen. There's another like, uh, uh, there's George Hoshmeyer. There's, there, there's another accent. Jorgen, Bjergen? Yeah. Yeah, I know about Jorgen, Bjergen. So, Midsommar. Um, and then, I, I, so, okay, so then you get to the 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 commune the uh sure and it's like yeah it looks really cool it's like the the design work of this stuff it looks awesome it doesn't look like any other movie uh a lot of time and effort by uh set dressers and costume makers it looks mm-hmm. really cool um like almost <laughs> all the efforts seem to be into that and it's pretty co- amazing the turnaround i guess between hereditary and this coming out that uh 
this movie comes along, but it, it has no stars in it, so they've probably saved a lot of money for that. And you and because it doesn't have any well, stars yeah. in it, that uh, it has this like anonymous quality to the at least for me. Like I have no idea who any of these people are outside of this movie, and you, uh, the the people in the cult. You know, there's no like, oh hey, it's that guy. It's all these people. You're like, I've never seen them before, so it's like it's more frightening. Though I, I think I, I think I've seen all of Ruben's work. So who Ruben? <laughs> The, the the special the special oh, guy yeah uh yeah i mean i think that the sets and production are pretty nice like it all looks cool but then i also i'm like who the fuck was the architect who made this building that's like coming out of the ground in this like weird angular way what is this weird like expressionistic like architecture it's cool it looks good it's yeah, not, I mean, yeah, sure, the, it looks that's, good, that's but the, what's the point? I don't know. There it is. Yeah, it the, looks cool. There's some tr- I, I, there. There's some sort of weird tricks being pulled, too, about, like, locations being condensed. Like, it seemed like buildings were really far apart at one point, but then they start narrowing closer together. So, you think that was intentional or just Yeah, lazy? no, it's definitely intentional. Like, there was, like, those sort of effects that I'm pretty sure somebody will put some thought into be like, yeah. Because, like, like, I was noticing something was going on. Because I'm like, oh, these buildings were so far apart, but now they're getting closer. And I'm not sure if that's just because they were shooting it differently or they were literally moving buildings, at least the shell of the buildings together so it'd be like the, the walls are closing in on this open space it's a it's a subtle little thing it's possible there's like a lot of like effort put into this movie um sure. from a production standpoint that i sure. did like uh i agree and but at the end of the day i as i like i said uh to start this movie as it went on I, it kept losing me and kind of becoming more frustrating and uh yeah i don't know I get this whole idea that it's like it out wicker man's wicker man. But I'm like, yeah, but wicker yep. man is like, like a powerful movie. That's like, it's, it's got problems. It's not a perfect movie, but because of those flaws, it's a really interesting movie. Whereas this yeah. is, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's like, this is the Ari Aster experience. And it's like, what's, what's going to be the, the third, Ass. the third horror movie. I can only assume it's going to be another pagan, satanic cult, ritualistic type deal. Yeah. So, Jared, do you want to know what I think about Midsommar? Okay. So, I had to be the bearer of bad news with Hereditary when uh, everyone was praising it. And I was like, hey, I got some things to say. So, you know what? It seems like everyone really loves oh, Midsommar. Well, we, we had the flip reaction. You had a flip reaction, not a reaction, a different audience experience. Because when you Completely went, different. You, you went on a Tuesday night with a bunch of hoople heads. And yeah. uh, this time out, it was you and me in the theater. And like but two minutes two before people. the movie started, two other guys showed up. It was yeah. emptiness. And this movie's already, nice. like, it's already left theater, I think, by the end of the week. So, it didn't last very long. Not in Creepsville. No. But, uh, yeah, very different experiences. But I notice a lot of people like Midsommar too. And I don't want to be that guy. I don't I don't feel like I am a contrarian usually. But it's like, you know what? Someone needs to say some stuff here. There are some things I also don't like about Midsommar. And uh, I mean, I, I, I'm in the same boat as Hereditary where it's just like, I don't know, guys. I don't see why this is like such hot shit. And, and it's kind of... 
Where in Hereditary, I just kept thinking about like other movies. This one, I didn't even think about it because no, just looking at the poster, I was like, oh, this is his Wicker Man movie. So it's like you said, what's his next one going to be? Because like Hereditary, I I just felt thought about things like Kill List and like other cult movies in that sense. And I was like, okay, that's what I. That's all I thought about folk when I was horror, watching it. Which is something that yeah. like everybody was like all about all of a sudden because of this movie, which cool watch those movies they're awesome this movie is like a part of that and it just doesn't it, does, it doesn't have the feel of it it, do, it doesn't feel remotely like a folk horror no. other than it has the look of it in the but yeah so here's an interesting thing and i'll just bring it up just because what why not i think it's because we're getting a little older and we have a we we've seen more stuff like i'm not trying to be like oh we've seen every fucking movie anything like that we've seen more of the influences of it i was talking to a younger person this week jerry like 24 and uh, they're like oh what movie did you see and i was like midsummer and they're like oh were you really scared i was like Pff. I was like, no. I was like, it's not. I was like, it's not really scary. And she, uh, she was like, all my friends thought it was scary. And I was like, what? I was like, nah. But it's like I've heard other people talk about the like how young people are really into this. But it's like, dude, is it just because they they don't have that much experience in the genre, or is it like, is it something else? I don't know, Jared. How 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 about that sex scene? How about his his like Ari Aster thinking like, hey, it's naked bodies. Again, right, right out of the yeah. brackage playbook, right? Uh, gross. So, okay. Uh, credit where it's due. Uh, yes. The production is awesome. Everything looks really good. His cinematography is really nice. Uh, like I think for the most part, the way he frames stuff and shoots stuff, I think he's good. I think he's a good storyteller. Um, I think the first 20 minutes are awesome. And then after that, I got bored. Uh, so I think, the entire setup with the sister and the family, that's the movie I wanted to watch. Whereas like the way when you saw like the explanation montage where it's like the firefighters coming in and the tubes and stuff, I was like, I thought that was so well done where it's like, it's calculated, but it's grimy in a sense, if that makes sense. Yeah. I had, I went into this not knowing anything about this movie other than I I know, I. I know that's going into wicker man territory at some point. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was watching it and I went, oh, that's a really good setup of, like, oh, the parents are sleeping. And then it, and then when you're like, oh, and then it's like, oh, that's cool. That, that was a, that's well played. I, I didn't think yep. it was. And then you're like, ah, that's what that's the reason. It's all very nice and neat. It, it's like a nice, complete, short package. And then mm-hmm. the rest of the movie has to happen because it's like, well, that's just the setup for why she is in this state. It's like, well, she probably would have gone on this trip no matter what. Like, it almost didn't mm-hmm. matter. Like, I don't know. To me, nothing well, about it other than like, well, why does she do the things later on that she doesn't? Like, well, I don't know. Even without any of that information, a character in a horror movie would do the exact same thing. Like, sure. it's just like, this yep. is like, this is like, it's not even up for debate, really. It's like, oh, yeah, characters just would do this shit no matter what. Because, like, everyone else acts dumb. Yeah. And, and now she's like, yeah, I just give myself over to it because I now want to do that. And you're like, yeah, people have done that in horror movies since the beginning of time. They don't need this big tragedy to explain it all. But that's yeah. a, that's a trope in uh, these, like, in big art, in big horror movies, like, don't look now, where you have to have this, like, mm-hmm. inciting event of, like, why do they act so irrationally? It's like, well, because of this tragedy yeah yeah and like that it's it's ari aster's thing like his thing's all about weird trauma and ex- right and drawing out those things to a yeah. unbearable level well beyond what's necessary when it's like why don't you go for 
concision, being concise. Yeah. It's like, oh, Hereditary is about loss and Midsommar is about breaking up. And it's like, okay, all right. It's like you you could do that different though. And I don't know. Like, so I – it's like I was saying. I thought the first 20 minutes were really good. And I wanted more of just that like suburban horror. I think – I think he would be really good at that in, in the way that he does it. But I feel like he 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 reaches too much. And like I know that's why everyone praises him where they're like, well, he really goes for it. And he's like – and it's like I guess, but I, I feel like he overextends and he – and it's like you said. It's like, well, there's – so there's this ending. And he's like, is that actually earned? And he's like, well, there's two hours before it. And you're like, yeah, but that doesn't mean like just because you have like a lot of stuff building up to it doesn't mean that it's actually earned or not. Um, because there's like ridiculous shit too. And especially in like the climax where it's like there's like a guy's leg planted in like a flower bed. And you're just like, <laughs> what is that shit? Uh, we laughed. It's like RJ. no one noticed. Yeah, we just we both laughed out loud. And it's like, what, no one noticed that like two days before that it happened? And that's the thing too. It's like these like they're like, well, we – it's like you said, after hammer time, it's like, why would you stay? And then it's like, well, it showed that they tried to leave, but they wouldn't let them. And it's like, yeah, fucking run away. Like, it's like all the, like the American people who stay, they're like, well, this will be great for our thesis. It's like, you're not a little concerned right now. It's like, and again, it's like, well, some people have ambitious drive, which will put them in dangerous situations. It's like, I don't know. Yes. And it's yes. And no, I get it. But at the same time, you, it's hard to suspend your disbelief on that. You're like, this is, this is questionable. And then just I don't know everything with the boyfriend. He sucks. Oh. He's so dumb. And it's like I like I know like it seems intentionally so. Is she like she'll be like, oh yeah, those people left. And he's like, oh that's crazy. Hey, what do you guys know about <laughs> incest? And you're just like, ugh. Like this guy's uh, fucking chowder. Yeah, I'm kind of like wondering what that dude's deal is. It's like, did they cast him because he's a terrible actor or because he's like because like i said he is chris pratt ish but like without any of the charisma i think he was just willing to do nudity he got his dick out yep plowed some under 18s was she i don't know i think that was one of the things like yeah she was giving the blessing that she can now have sex now with the people oh yeah you know jack rayner is that yeah. the, the man yeah yeah oh what is he in Oh, just random shit. Face. Oh, Free Fire's terrible. Uh, no one likes Detroit. He was in a Transformers movie. Oh, he's in that Macbeth with Fastbender. Uh, you'll be watching that soon. Uh, maybe. Sing Street. Mm. He's an it, o- he's an Irishman. Yeah, they all are. They all are. They all are. But there's other stuff too, like Ari Aster. Like there's things that you and me just groaned at. It's like, why is there this? Like their leader is this like severely physically disabled kid, and it it has no merit or like it has no payoff at all. Other than they're like, they're like we see it's like he is unclouded, and it's like so. Does Ari Aster just like having people with like physical abnormalities in his movies? That's fine if he does, whatever. Or is it something bigger where it's like this is just like political, like society, man, where the people they have like the president and he doesn't really know what he's doing but then there's the people below that are like we translate for him man see that might be me looking too much into it but i feel like these are the kinds of things that he tries to weave into his movies where it's like i think you're you're doing too much man mm. do less as paul red would say jared do less do less do less better hmm. 
there's weird shit in Midsummer. I don't know. It's it's fine. I with complete and honest sincerity, I can say that I will never think of this again, and I will never watch it again. Well, I feel like uh, it'll never be dropped. It'll be like, have you seen like ten years from now? Yeah, horror movies that will blow your mind, and Midsummer will be on it because it'd be like acting like we no one's seen it. <laughs> it'll mm-hmm. happen. It's what it is. I mean. Yeah, I don't know. It just. Uh, yeah. Last, I'll say Florence Pugh was really good. Yes. I thought she was great. Like yeah. all her weeping and stuff, that was really yeah, good. She was very good. Oh yeah, that brings in another thing. Like the the community is like in sync when it's convenient. So like when she's having her like moment with all the other women and they're like totally into it, they're like all moving the same and they're completely synchronized and you're like okay. But then later when the thing is burning and they're like screaming, they're all like doing weird different shit. And you're just like, wait a minute. Are they in sync or are they not in sync? I was confused by it. Well, they're, like, they're, they don't they're... need to have the, exactly the same gestures and motions. But I was just like, I feel like I feel like they're playing with these rules. Like you remember in Us when it was like they could like move the doppelgangers when they wanted to. But then other times they couldn't. I was getting those vibes. I was like, I, I wasn't even thinking about anything about sync synchronicity or anything of like that. As far as the, the people, I was just like, it's so this movie's so goddamn loud. I can't hear. Yeah, yeah. so loud. Like but a real yeah. grandpa. I'm Grandpa Duncan over here. It's too loud. But yeah, she was good. And then the other thing I, I didn't like is all the drug stuff, where it was like flowers breathing all the time. I got really oh, bored of it. I was like, so, enough. Yeah, the flower. I saw people like totally losing their shit over the optical effects of that. And nah. I'm like, didn't you folks watch Antichrist? Because uh, Lars von Trier was ahead of that curve. Like he was doing that all day long in Antichrist. And it's like really, it was really effective there. And this, I was like, oh, they're doing it again. And they just kind of kept relying on it. And yeah. I don't know. I don't know this, yeah, this, I'm with you. this movie picture. And then the ending, I mean, it's basically, it's, uh, as some might say, daylight horror. When they have the... That's uh, stupid. I hate when, that when they so have, much. Uh, like the, it's like something out of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where it's like everybody involved is like a uh, is Leatherface, where they just have people stretched out and it's supposed to like... You know, it's, it's like tourist trap or something like that. Where like yeah, it's like an that Ed, it, Ed Gein. That's a whole village of Ed Geins with their uh, their puppet people. And, even that uh, it but, comes out and, of and nowhere. They, and they shoot it for so long, like it's so there where it's just kind of like, huh? Yeah, they're, they're, See, you've seen one flesh puppet. You've seen them all. <laughs> well, so like the thing with that too is like I thought that was like completely unwarranted because it was just like. It's like these people can have this like cult where they sacrifice things, but it's like, do they have to be completely sadistic and like torturous on top of that where they're like skinning people and wearing their fucking faces and like, like hanging them alive with their lungs cut out in chicken coops. I was like, it seems like excessive because (laughs) like, you know, it's like they could have just killed them for the tribute and then it would have been fine. It's like, did they have to torture them too? You have to jump off the cliff to your death. Oh, he landed feet first. (laughs) That was that guy's fault. He didn't even try to like land on it. Go for the rock face first. And then, yeah, uh, Ari Aster and heads, exploded heads. It's just his thing, I guess. That's his. That's his. Uh, his foot fetish. Oh yeah. Uh. Anyway. Uh, yep. Yeah. We so did it. We did it. Uh, I watched the Great Hack that documentary on Facebook. 
don't watch it. It I don't know. I watched I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I watched a whole bunch of these uh computer movies earlier in the year about the internets and the technologies and the, the internet. And how your information's uh being spied upon and used against you. The Great Hacks just another one of those. And it, yeah. the the editing and uh general quality and aesthetics of everything about it is just so smug. I I hated this. The guy who he's like a professor from Parsons, he's the protagonist, I guess, and you're getting his reactions to like testimony in his hotel room. He's like, Oh man. <laughs> and then he tweets about it. And I'm like, Oh, I don't, I'm not even rooting for this guy. And I agree with the whole idea of it, but this guy, like, why, why did we do it this way? Like, I don't yeah. want to see like some guy like patting himself on the back so much. Yeah. This was, uh, almost two hours long too. And not, not worth it. My friends, you, you know, okay. that, you know, Facebook's bad, you know what they're doing. And you know that uh, there's a lot of uh, people who just take information uh, for granted, and they uh, were going to do silly things. So we're being hacked, man. Did you who know who isn't that? being hacked? Yeah, uh, I'll, I will talk my my purge movie after watching Midsummer mm-hmm. and uh, days of Stan Brackett short films mm-hmm. was uh, The Edge. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, The Edge. I remember being good, but I don't think I'd like it now. They fight a bear, don't they? Yeah, there's there's a, a big battle with a bear. They're being hunted by a bear. Ooh, shit. By, by Bart the bear. And? Uh, um, humanity wins. <laughs> In a good way or what? So this movie would never be made the way that it was written in uh, 1998. Yeah. This movie stars Anthony Hopkins. Ooh. Creep alumni. Uh, big, big, Ant- big Tony. He's a billionaire. Uh, I'm not exactly, I kind of missed what he did to be a billionaire. I think it's like banking or something like that. And he's got, the, he's got, knows. he's got the hot trophy wife who's a model. And Alec Baldwin is a fashion photographer who like, you know, photographs this model. That's his job. Yeah. Uh, Harold Perrineau of lost fame looking for Walt. He's in this kind of, uh, who isn't looking for Walt? in the off season from Oz, not in a wheelchair. Uh, mm-hmm. They go to like a nice. Keep scenic, telling me about the edge. Uh, a big old mountainy uh, landscape. They uh, we, we were supposed to be very sympathetic to the the plight of the billionaire, poor billionaire Anthony Hopkins. He uh, he just can't catch a break. You know, he thinks he's having like a real heart to heart with a, a fellow woodsman uh, played by LQ Jones, but it turns out. RJ, that LQ Jones is just pumping him uh, to sweet talk him into lending him like $30 million to build a nice waterfront resort as you do. And Anthony Hopkins, he's feeling very, very hurt that uh, that this man is only in it for money. And you're like, man, poor billionaires. They, they, they're they always having to be worried that like there's no real friendships. Everybody just wants their money. Uh, it should be noted that this film is written by David Mamet, who... A few years later, uh, would just become more and more uh, kind of on that right wing end of the spectrum, and his mindset is that of like a, a material world of uh, the the real the realness of men and what masculinity is. So it's about honor and survival and manhood. 
uh, Anthony Hopkins, Alec Baldwin, and, and Harold Perrineau, they wind up in a plane crash. The pilot dies. They crash into a lake. And it turns out that billionaire Anthony Hopkins, he's got a mind for, like, just retaining all sorts of worthless information over time. That's how you become a billionaire. You just remember things, and you're able to uh, employ it whenever it's necessary to do so. And uh, he's like, well, I've read some books about survival and trapping in my time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this out because, you know, living a, a protected billionaire life, I've never really had to challenge myself. I've never been pushed to the edge. And so these boys, they... Uh, they climb down off the plane and uh, they start trying to make their way surviving in the woods. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yes, RJ. Yeah, the woods. I know about the yeah. woods. Oh, you do. I know you do. And, yeah. uh, uh-oh, there's a bear. And What a, kind of bear? A Kodiak bear, played by Bart the Bear. Who's Bart the Bear, Jared? Bart the Bear is a, a famous stunt bear that they used for 20-odd years from, like, the 80s through all until the end of his life in 2000. And then uh, he was replaced by Bart the Bear 2, who was a brown bear uh, who's still with us. He was uh, featured in the the bear battle with uh, Brienne of Tarth in Game of Thrones. Mm. That, that, that old bear. And he's raised by the same dude, the same guy who has his bear reserve, whatever you want to call him. Same guy looks after these bears. Was Bart the Bear in Legends of the Fall? He sure was, RJ, which you just hmm. watched a mere week ago. And he was also in The Bear. What's The Bear? You've never seen The Bear? I don't know. Let me check it out. It's like from, the, is Bill Murray in it? No, it's The Bear. It's a, it's a really cool movie. It's like a... 1988? Yeah, it's like a silent comic. It's just He's of, an orphan at yeah. the start of a journey. Yeah. A journey to survive. Fuck, that sounds crazy. No, this movie's awesome. It's like, basically, it's just like you follow the bear around. Okay, I got some big problems here. They, it, it credits Bart the Bear, but when you click on his thing, this is the only movie he's credited for. That's, Why isn't he credited for all these other great films? Uh, because of, it's sloppy. Sloppy. So Well, uh, there's some... Yeah, so keep telling me about The Edge. Doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, someone make a knife out of, like, a jade in this thing? Uh... No, you know, no, at some point, uh, like a so, flint. So, one of the things is, uh, Anthony Hopkins is pretty suspicious that Alec Baldwin's banging his wife and, uh, kind of calls him out on it right before they crash. And there's like some, uh, some mind games being played between, yeah. uh, the two. And, uh, Alec Baldwin drops some, uh, some homophobia because, Ooh, it's, because it's, it's David Mamet in 1998. That, that, those yeah. things were fine. Uh, oh yeah. The model, the model wife, she, uh, she's also doing some, uh, Pocahontas style, like photo shoots, which of course wouldn't fly here now in 2019. Nice. Uh, well, well, you, well, well it, you might, you might've missed cause you were so closely listening to me. You might've missed some yes, of the I'm details where I mentioned how this movie is, uh, really positions how like sympathetic we should be to the plight of the billionaire, uh, how like how mm-hmm. a billionaire can never truly trust anyone cause they might just be in it for his money. So he's always, he feels very alone. Hmm. So anyway, uh, he gets to put all his useless knowledge to the test with Alec Baldwin at toe. Eventually, uh, the black man is the first one to die because movies. Um, yeah, sure. Because he, because at one point Anthony Hopkins says, "Hey, make a spear." And Harry Potter's like, "What? You want me to make make a spear?" You know, saying like, "Excuse me, you're asking the black man here to make a spear." He's like, "Yeah, yeah." And then uh, he walks away, and Alec Baldwin's like, "What? You what? You make him get make a spear?" He's like, "Yeah, keep his mind occupied." And uh, 
they make a little trap at some point after Harry Piranha was dead uh, to trap a squirrel because they're hungry. And then they fire off the trap, trapping the squirrel, and they're so happy. But then they see a plane fly overhead, and then they just take off and leave, leaving the squirrel in the trap to starve to death and die. <laughs> it's a real squirrel? Yeah, well, I'm sure that the squirrel was fine, but in the movie universe, they just like mm. they just like eh. <laughs> so like I'm like wow, that, that's that's a dink move. They could have just, well, I mean, I guess they assumed they were getting rescued, but at the same time, no, you you just flipped the trap over because like, we don't need no stinking squirrel. We're gonna be eating venison tonight <laughs> and lots of potatoes. We and ain't shit. need no stinking squirrel. But no, they just left that squirrel to die, and. Uh, Shameful. Eventually, uh, they make their way. They're making their way down that mountain, uh, facing adversity, and then it's like them versus bear, man versus nature, and uh, but then it turns to man versus man, man versus man. RJ. How come? Because Alec Baldwin's uh, a cowardly son of a bitch, and uh, he see, mm. he sees opportunity. Um, Anthony Hopkins Does he, take uh, he, it? he rises above the occasion to to off his competition. It's a swell movie. It's got a real Hemingway kind of ending. It's real swell. The music's mm. awesome. The cinematography is like peak 90s cinematography, wide as shit, helicopter shots, sweeping vistas. Uh, I mm. There's some flaws in this movie, but I, I, I enjoy this movie still quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. Uh, there's like that real uh, weird David Mamet dialogue style where characters just repeat things and they talk – it angles at one another and they understand what they're talking about but you're like what they only must they're, they're so smart i just don't understand what they're saying but it's a david mm-hmm. mamet sort of affectation it works um but yeah edge is pretty rad rj yeah i think the edge is good what do you think is better the edge or commando uh i would watch the edge before i'd probably watch the uh the commando again. i think you should re-watch the commando one day but yeah like, yeah, you don't have to do it today, but I think you should rewatch it. I think you'd get more okay. out of it now. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll leave it at that for movies. Hey, RJ, you got any news? Uh, Spider-Man. Who gives a shit? Oh, yeah, who cares about fucking... Oh, this boycotts. Uh, this boycott a studio. Well, they, it's just... They wouldn't even come to the table. Who cares? Who shit? Oh, so anyway, for people who give a fuck, uh, Marvel and Sony have apparently parted ways for the time they being. They blame each other now though. They blame each other because so that means no Spider-Man in your Marvel shit. So it doesn't so the the Spider-Man movies that come from Sony don't have that MCU stamp of approval. That activate instant kill. Yeah. Kind of MCU Spider-Man? Yep. Well, I mean, these are just tactics for negotiations. And if they're not, whatever. Well, they were getting We'll be fine. Whatever they had creative control and they were making a smaller piece of the pie, yeah. but then Disney's like, "We want fifty percent or something." You're like, "What?" I'm like, of course, Sony's going to say no to that, and yeah. then that's it. But now Marvel, now of course the fanboys, the entitled yeah. nerd shit bags that should just move on with their lives. I hate, I'm, yeah. I, I hate those people so much. I want nothing well, but bad things. I want, I want Marvel movies to be canceled. I want all their favorite actors to die. I want their franchises Jesus, to end. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I got to take them all out, and uh, they just need to go away. Well, I don't know. Life, well, my life, my my life would certainly improve without going well, online to read this horse shit. Yeah, I don't know if you heard this, but uh, your friend Jeremy Renner even made a, a post saying, uh, "Give it, give us, give us Spider Man." Fuck yeah! See, there you go. Go away. 
forever. Even Jeremy Renner was like, give him, give him to us. I hope he goes to Midsommar. Give me Dows. And, and he winds up a flesh suit. Ugh. Well, hey, RJ, we got yes. Criterion November release announcements. Oh, yeah. they're still coming out? Yeah. Woo-woo. I thought they were done at a uh, remember that? Thousand. Remember that Cold War? Which one? That Cold War movie that was supposed to win. Oh, yeah. Best yeah, Picture yeah. last year. Remember that one? Yeah, that, I do remember. That That's coming. Is that good? I don't know. I, I We're going to find out uh, five years from now or something. Um, hundred years from B- now. Betty Blue. Hey, that's a good show. P.T. Anderson, one of his fave movies that I've got a DVD copy of like behind me that I've never Have watched. Have you never seen it? Nope. There's uh, some good Chilean in that movie. Like if next time I make Chili and Creep... Ch- well, you wouldn't watch this in Creeptober. But I, I was going to say next time I make Chili, you should watch Betty Blue because... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of some good chili in Betty Blue. Uh, this movie called The Day Trippers, <laughs> yep. directed by Greg Matola. That's coming out. Huh? Greg Matola. Yeah. And uh, how about All About Eve? Remember that All About Eve movie? That's a Best uh, Picture winner. Vaguely. That's a classic. Vaguely. Yeah, I've seen that. It's pretty mm. good. And RJ, now yes. Voyager, directed by Irving Rapper. Oh my God. I mean, did Christmas come early? <laughs> I'm so I'm so excited. Yeah, I can't wait for the Ravager. The, Is that Phantasm n- Five n- Ravager? Uh, or how about now Voyager? Now Voyager, you aka better. the Ravager. It sounds like a great show. <laughs> that that's uh that's another movie, the Ravager that exists. I was I was listening. Yeah, that's another movie about a a rapist, I believe. What? You have a giant penis. It's cool. It's cool, RJ. I don't think you, anyone brought you, that up. Yeah, you watch. You watch your movies. I'll be over here. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. To talk about Criterion's. No, uh, oh, I'm done for the day. Okay. Um, I'd like to skip this week. I think we should just have an hour of no something, just no audio, just static. Well, I guess static is audio, just static. After the break, ah. we're going to carve a nice corpse up in a uh, hospital and crawl inside. Shameful. And here we are 25 years later. With our favorite dancing song, Bend It. Wouldn't you care to join us in bending it?
That piece is entitled Mirror, Father, Mirror. I like to show it to people that I'm meeting for the first time because I think it says so much about who I am and what it feels like to inhabit my specific skin. <laughs> and this is exactly what I'm hoping to get from each of you over the course of this summer. A picture of your own self-exploration. Now, my own background is in video and performance art, but I'm hoping that doesn't influence you too much and you'll find your own ways of externalizing the internal. And at the end of the summer, this class has been invited to participate in a show of high school art at the Neighborhood Activity Center. The title of the show will be Brotherhood and Community Art as Dialogue. Are there any questions so far? And we're back. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast, and tonight we're talking about by brackage an anthology, the films, the short mm. films of Stan Brackage. Mm. RJ, are yes. you were you familiar with Stan Brackage before this week? Um, in any way, I, shape, or form, I wasn't, and uh, I got to say, it was a better time when I was not in, familiar in, with in, Mr. Stan Bragg in, in the before time. In the before, there will there will only ever be two parts of my life: before brackage and by brackage, which I am now mm-hmm. in the by brackage era. Yeah. Um, no, I was not aware of uh, this Hodor looking dude, uh, <laughs> but I did some research this week because everyone always. Everyone's always like, you don't know what you're talking about, RJ. So I was like, I'll look into this Stan Brackage dude. Okay. Uh, so I, I'm vaguely aware okay. now. So what what does uh, the letterbox synopsis of Stan Brackage have to say? First of all, Stan Brackage is or was yeah. he's dead. <laughs> yeah, he's dead. Stan Brackage was one of the most influential filmmakers in American avant-garde cinema, noted for his unflinching social commentaries mm-hmm. and technical innovations. Right. Over his nearly 40-year career, he has made over 200 films of varying length. I think actually on Letterboxd, his film count is something like 354. Jeez. He made his first film, Interim, 1952, at age 18 after dropping out of college. Brackage's films seek to change the way we see. They encourage viewers to eschew traditional narrative structure in favor of pure visual perception that is not reliant on naming what is seen. Rather, his goal is to create a more visceral visual experience, for he believes that a, quote, stream of visual consciousness could be nothing less than the pathway of the soul. End quote. To this end, his films are shot in highly sensual colors and utilize <laughs> minimal soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, RJ, you know, first of all, who are fans of the Brack Attack? Uh, I'm unaware. I, I would love to hear who who are who's fans of uh, Stan Brackage. Is it Art House? Oh. Tr- Trey Parker and Matt Stone. No, they're not. Who uh, he apparently was a film teacher of theirs because uh, they were there mm-hmm. in Colorado. Yeah, and uh, they actually cast him in Cannibal the Musical. Okay, but I think that's like 
is that is that about his film base or is it just because they he was like their favorite teacher you know i'm sure that he was probably a good teacher he's a well yeah and that no that's what i mean it's like yeah, they, they were fans been. because of the man not maybe not of the work right yeah well, I, or, I, well it, who they, knows? They wound up making a different kind of work altogether. Yes. Um, so for context, too, because I remember when this came out on DVD, uh, you know, 16 years ago, because it was like, oh, I was like kind of following along with this Criterion Collection stuff and being like, oh, what's the next exciting release? You know, they were doing the same thing they do now, like three mm-hmm. thing, three or four things every month. And it's like, oh, what's, what's this? Buy Brackage. That's interesting. What's this cover with these all these little stills? And what is it? This guy's made hundreds and hundreds of short films. It's like, oh, that's kind of neat. And uh, it's, neat. And, and this is the and at the time when this came out, it was a big deal because Brackage didn't want his work on video mm-hmm. because uh, an important part for him was the presentation of this. So, I mean, he, there wasn't like brackage tapes floating around in libraries. It was like, oh, if you wanted a copy, you had to get films because they, these should be projected. Okay. And I honestly could not find how this work. Like, I, I mean, I didn't dig deep. I didn't do a big research project on this, but I was curious how this stuff was exhibited in the first place because he mm-hmm. was making this stuff in the like through the fifties, early sixties, and people were like fucking jeering and like making fun of this stuff. What a, I know, mm-hmm. what a, what a shocker, RJ. Um, but then, mm-hmm. like he eventually, it seems like he found an audience because I think there was definitely a crossover with the type of images that he was uh, using and the way he was showing it, and the rise of drug culture. I think there was like a real nexus okay. point, and like, like you watch movies that like show what being high on acid looks like. Like just like a few weeks ago, I watched the trip with uh, R.I.P. Peter Fonda. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all these little things you're like, oh yeah, like this depiction of what it is to be high in color and stuff like that. It kind of looks like, a, like experimental films that were being made. And a lot of those kind of, um, experiments that guys like Brackage were, was doing in the fifties or going back uh, a couple decades, there's this other fella, a New Zealand experimental filmmaker, Len Lai, who was also mm. kind of doing these sort of fields of color experiments and stuff like that. These non-narrative things, but using sound and music kind of more. Um, and up here in Canada, we had uh, Norm McLaren uh, making his films, but it was like under the uh, guys, like under not the guys, but under the uh, National Film Board. So there was actually kind of a institution backing this sort of experimentation. Whereas in mm-hmm. the U.S., Stan Brackage was just doing this shit on his own. He was self-funding this work and just making projects. There's no grant bodies for this type of filmmaking. Uh, there, you were just in America. You're kind of on your own, and you have to find an audience to do it. And I mean, he was probably for a good chunk of his life kind of living until he started teaching in a university, uh, like kind of like hand to mouth and like doing here and there work trying to make these films made and we like i was listening on the dvd uh they kind of they don't have they don't have commentary tracks but they have remarks where it's these kind of like little canned uh excerpts from interviews that he did kind of in the 90s and uh early 2000s when this dvd came out uh just talking about what like the process of how long it took to make some of these films, particularly the ones where he's using the colors on the film stills where he mm-hmm. like, it took him like six years to make a four minute short film because of the way he was working because he made what? 354 of these different films in varying styles and experiments. Allegedly. allegedly. And uh, so there's like a whole process to this. Um, so 
I would say, and this is come reflecting on my own uh, background, Journey. my own my own degree, I guess. Where uh, mm-hmm. like I wound up getting an art history degree from my uh, university, but I was yes. actually I was uh, doing film, and uh, a lot of the courses at my conceptual art school were on the experimental film side, and I was in a course called Video Sketchbook. Where the whole idea was that you would make a short film every week that was 90 seconds long and you had certain guidelines and you were supposed to just like, you're not looking for narratives. You can't use like music. You can't use popular music to mask your mistakes or like make things more listenable and music video ish. It's supposed to be just like you, you make your own sound effects. You use like sort direct sound and uh, you you kind of like steered away from that element of it just to get to ideas about process. So it kind of fits into this brackage thing. So I would say that me going into this, I have, uh, a bit of a familiarity with this type sure. of uh, work. Like there's like a guy, sure. uh, one one th- uh, guy that came to mind while watching this, I was reminded of was uh, Bill Morrison, who did this film called Decasia, which is like him taking old footage that is completely deteriorating from like the turn of the century and in that era. And he was just making these feature films uh, or this one feature film of just assembled footage of just random film scraps. And like over time, you just watch this footage deteriorate as it was filmed up and recorded. And like this stuff is just like breaking apart. So this is sort of the world that this inherits. As far as like an inclusion in the Criterion collection, it's very unusual. There's not a mm-hmm. lot of non-narrative film projects like this. Um there is the Chris Marker film that comes along later that's like sort of similar to this, um, Sans Soleil, but it is still kind of like a documentary project, but it's like editing is like not a traditional narrative whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But it kind of like has a referent to the real world, so you can kind of like relate to what you're watching. Stan Brackage is a abstract filmmaker. Uh, eventually, like he really full on just goes into like color blobs, like where you're just mm-hmm. watching light. And then even when he's filming uh, the world as we see it, it is heavily edited and stylized and like so like discombobulated. And it's not, it's nothing like, it's not even uh, Pepe Lamoco, RJ. It, it, it's, oh, wow. it, it, it is, it is not like, whatever you want to call it, like your least pleasant experience of uh in the criterion collection mm-hmm. it's n- not it's not you can't even compare the two things because they're working in completely different ways um and i don't know if this dvd package does a very good job of introducing this work at all like there's mm-hmm. no real like there, there was a documentary from 1988 called Brackage that kind of was one of the only ways you could watch Stan Brackage films for a long time. And I've actually seen a lot of people uh, have a crit- criticism of that documentary for having way too much footage. Like they just have like full on, you know, four minute clips showing his work without any like break of it. And people are like, oh, this gets kind of old. I'm like, well, here's 25 uh, Stan Brackage <laughs> short films for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, you figure it out. So I don't know if this package necessarily introduces this work very well. Uh, there's no explanation. There's no way of housing it. It's kind of like, hey, here are the films available for the very first time for you to watch. And mm-hmm. uh, you're kind of just left to your own devices, which, I mean, is probably like other than those remarks where he says things. But it doesn't give you like the context of this 
abstract, non-narrative, experimental filmmaker. There's no mm-hmm. ta- there's no uh, context of like what is experimental film. What is the point of this? Why would anyone do anything like this? Why am I watching this? And I mean, this kind of fits into the thing of like going spine by spine in our creep through the collection. You hit something mm-hmm. like this, and there's no context. There's like it's just kind of this this. Uh, this would belong like in a if you took that number away this would be a film that it it belongs in film libraries it should be kept and restored like anything else it should be available to you so how do you begin to talk about this in terms of like usually a lot of times we're talking about these movies that are narrative entertainment value historical importance um Mm -hmm. this is like such a side step from what the collection up to this point has been Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I, think I agree. You, I, I think you can totally agree with that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, this is for people who are going to be interested in what Stan Brakhage was doing. And this is like a small sliver mm-hmm. of it, ultimately. They produced the two big works, um, Dog Star Man and The Act of Seeing with One's Own Eyes. Yeah. Um, those are like kind of the big ones that people if you read books on a big experimental film those are the two that people go to they're the the Mm -hmm. standbys because when it comes down to breaking down the other brackage works ultimately you're basically talking about iterations on this exact same process over and over and over again so i mean the idea of sitting down like we did this week and watching 25 brackage films like all at once it's kind of like mm-hmm. wandering into a stan brackage retrospective at an art gallery um sitting down perhaps in front of a laptop in front of your tv uh to sit down and watch this all at once it's like is this how it's meant to be watched because in film like even in an art gallery i mean when i come when it comes to like seeing film projects like this or videos i usually don't stick around and most people don't they go into a room they look at the screen they go is anything interesting happening right now and if it's just a bunch of blob and colors they go oh cool and then they walk on mm-hmm. let alone sit around and watch anywhere from 32 second clips actually i think the shortest one here is 12 seconds mm-hmm. to you know uh, a dog star man which is 70 odd minutes or something like that yeah no nobody I don't think really is watching Dog Star Man from start to finish. And the people who do, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I, I, we both did. And, uh-huh. I know, and I know I was not paying attention for great, great chunks of it. Mm-hmm. Other than, oh, hey, here's some new gimmick. Oh, it's a lactating nipple. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> That's a... Uh... I guess a first for the collection so far. I a hundred percent think that is the case. I mean, until we get to uh, some '90s comedies where there's people lactating all the time. Well, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. Trey Parker and Matt Stone in basketball. There is a, <laughs> I think it's Trey Parker. No, it's Matt Stone. I believe is lactating his nipples quite a bit in that movie. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'll just also mention that like I think the closest thing at this point that resembles the by Brackage anthology is the mm-hmm. Beastie Boys anthology because Close. it's like it's it's like similar kind of idea where it's just like a collection of shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, ultimate Beastie Boys music videos are commercial advertisements for buying albums, and mm-hmm. but it's also a represent, representation of like, hey, music videos don't just have to be packaging for advertising music; they can also kind of be their own art form 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so at the end of the day, there are still for the ends of the day, it's like where there's narratives within them. They are like at least the more, the most successful ones, like how all of Hollywood cinema and like box office and how we watch all video form is completely dominated by the power and triumph of the power of narrative. People mm-hmm. gravitate toward it. That is what people want. That, that is why experimental film is so diminished. And it's, it's like people just is laugh that at it because nobody wants like it's yeah it's because it's, it, the the only successful experimental film are the the pieces that can then be co-opted by narrative um i was mm-hmm. when i was clicking around a little bit looking at brackage i one thing that was i was reminded of was the final moments of last temptation of christ which uh okay. when when christ dies when our boy willem dafoe yeah he, he says it is accomplished the camera mm-hmm. goes all splotchy out and then the, we get to like weird flickering color splotches on film still and uh that, that is scorsese completely making reference to brackage uh about this idea of this transcendence of life and death and that's martin scorsese does have brackage film stills in his office so hmm. there, there's these weird little things where it's like, yeah, in that you don't even think about it, but like that was kind of a, a reference point to that. And it's, but it's like that's where experimental film is like its touchstone is like how does it get deployed successfully in narrative films? Like, mm-hmm. like the 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 weight of it is just uh, shifted to that. So I. Uh, have no expectations whatsoever of anybody watching this. I don't think people are accidentally stumbling into like, oh, what's this Bob Brackage here thing all about? Because now we have YouTube and mm-hmm. Vimeo where these things are just readily available and people can just cherry pick and watch a few things and go, I get this or don't, and I move on with my life. Um, fun fact, RJ, there's mm-hmm. a there's a volume two by Brackage. No. That uh, will come down the pike one day where you get a watch. Is that in the collection? Oh, oh of course, RJ. You're fucking kidding me. Come there, on. So there's like 30 more shorts where this came from. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I will, uh, I'll hand it off to you before we can uh, discuss. Uh, I, I have a dozen pages of notes. Jesus. Because I went through. Maybe, Dozens? Maybe, uh, a dozen pages of notes for uh, these films. I gave, okay. I gave them their due. But uh, I'm curious, RJ, with my uh, preamble there, uh, mm-hmm. what, 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 your, what was your thoughts with of uh, by brackage? By brackage. Well, as I said, by Joe. There's, there's <laughs> by Joe. There's before brackage, and there's by brackage. Um, I gotta start and just commend you and applaud your effort at uh, analyzing. That's not. This is just me. Talking, I understand. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. And and you you did a very good job at setting the frame here, setting the context. You say, hey, look, I got an art degree. Let me flex on this a little bit here. You're like, I know this brackage guy. I got a little bit of experience. So I think you did. I'm being genuine here. I think you did a good job in trying to rationalize one, what this is, two, why it's included in the Criterion Collection, and three why it matters at all. So I think you did a good job. That said. Thanks. <laughs> uh, my wife, she also has an art degree. And I attended many art exhibits and openings uh, with her in previous years. And uh, she is at a point now where I showed her this some just 
just a little bit of this brackage. I was like, hey, do you want to watch four hours of a art house short film this week? <laughs> and I showed her a little bit, and she's like, eh. she's like, I'm over art. Uh, she is still a member of the art community. She works in an art gallery. Yep. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I feel like that is a disdain that it could come easily with this format. Like you said, who who wants this stuff? Probably not many people. Um, but I mean, there were a lot of shows I went to with her where it's exactly what you said. You'd walk into a room. There'd be something playing on a projector and it could be like one of these one minute things, but it would just be on a loop, right? And it would yep. just be looping forever. Yep. And you'd watch it for 10 seconds and you'd be like, okay, got it. Yep. And that's what I think 85% of these were for me yep. where oh, I watched them I, and I was I like, don't question that at all. <laughs> got it. And then, uh, you know, I went on with my life. Yeah. So there was those. So I, I get it. I think these also too, like, I think you make a good point where you're like, the influence of them is almost greater than what they are themselves where mm-hmm. you're talking about Scorsese. And I saw one pretty, pretty like brash gener- or like comparison where someone's like, well, Twin Peaks, the return episode eight is completely yeah. influenced cool. by by brackage. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, well, that, that one sequence is, whoa, I was like, maybe so. That when, however, they, when they go into the nuclear blast. Yep. No. And I was like, however, our boy Davy Davy Lynch, I think he waxes it a little bit better into the layers of what he's doing. And I think that's what you were trying to say. It's like how this stuff gets used in other things is better than what it actually is almost. That's what that's how yeah, I think. And you so, didn't say you didn't say that. No, I'm, no, no, but I well, that's what I mean. It's like, yeah, it's that's kind of how that's the weird thing with art. Is like what it's uh what it influences. What, what its purpose is or what it does. And like you know that like David Lynch and Scorsese, that's a generational thing. Like they were young students in the sixties when this stuff was being like, this was new, um, like abstract art. Like, you know, you walk in and see like, a a Rothko painting or something like that on the wall. And like, that was still like a real new thing that people like had, like, and they still like people still hate abstract art. Like people never got over that. It's like, Mm -hmm. uh, there's like a revulsion to it. I think because it doesn't play by the rules of what people want and recognize and are kind of just untrained. Like the, the, there comes a, an education thing that you have to seek out and people don't get that at all of like Mm -hmm. what, how, what, what the narrative of art is and how it's come about. And some people sure. are like, well, I shouldn't need that education to be able to like what I like. And I'm like, well, why? it's, it's weird. It's an argument because I go back and forth. Yeah. I mean, I work in art education and right. there it, I see it both ways. Like I have, like I have frustration I, in my uh, job during the school year. I get to meet artists from like who are, you know, 20 years old to 85 years old and mm-hmm. Stan Brackage belongs to that group of guys that was in the, who are now in their like 70s and 80s and they work this like the way that Brackage talks about his stuff is so in line they're just these dude like they make these literary references they entitle their work in these ways where you're like what like the dark tower it's like that sounds like it'd be really cool and then <laughs> you're like oh it's like the same thing that you've been doing for 30, 50 films because they work yeah. in series and they work through ideas and they have these like, fuck, there's like the one later on, uh, 
it's, I think it's like commingling. Uh, oh, yes. Commingled containers where his remarks are like, he. I think it's like, I think he, he says like he, the camera was broken and before he brought it into the shop, he shot, he shot some footage with it to test it out. <laughs> and then he made a short film out of that footage. And then he also says, I was going in for a uh, for cancer treatment because my and having my kidney removed and oh I wish I had died because this would have been the perfect final film for me (laughs) in 97 and it's like it's like these anecdotes of like old of guys who were like very genial nice guys but when they talk Mm -hmm. about their stuff there's there's like an absurdity that like people make fun of for good reason because it's absurd like if you don't know how these guys talk and have arrived at these things. It's it's absurd. It's like comical. Sure. It's a it seems like a parody of itself. It's mm-hmm. like it's utter wank. It's whatever. But there is a genuineness to what these guys are doing. Oh um, yeah. And ah, man, it, it's it's tough sometimes, especially when you're sitting there for like an hour three of these things, and you're like. What am I doing? What is this? What, mm-hmm. what is the merit of it? And you're like, yeah, it doesn't work like that. It's it, because nothing, nothing in our life prepares us for this stuff unless you like set out to do it. And I mean, it's like an academic paper at times. Like it's like, oh, I'm gonna go read uh, someone's master's thesis for mm-hmm. fun. Nobody does that. People write a master's thesis. It gets read about six by six people on average, and then yeah. is never read again. I read a master's thesis yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, but it was for my own personal reasons. There you go. See, you're, now you, I'm see, one of the six. You're, you're a weirdo. You're, yep. you're you're the anomaly. And then you know what? Because somebody probably signed up for some weird newsletter, they get a notification that somebody has read that paper, and mm-hmm. for a fee, you can find out who read it. I mean, yeah, you they could probably find me because we, we because we have to monetize these things. I apparently, it, yeah, I wouldn't do them any good, but. You know, yeah. you know, I, you know what it's like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you make a good point about that stuff where it's kind of like it's tough in the context sense to just to consume it the way that we did. I watched 85 percent of this in one sitting. That's uh, yeah, that's I I, piece, Most, I I intentionally broke my viewing up over the course of I think, four days. I think I watched three of them on the first day and then the rat 22 of them on the second day, something like that. Something crazy. So the context to it is like a little wacky, but I think like one of the things I was going to say too, is what you were talking about. They, they, with kind of how these short films are like made. And just cause I brought up David Lynch, I was thinking about his short films and I was like, well, I think if people just turned on like, what is it? Six men getting sick. Yep. Or, or whatever. I think there's more six, to it. Six heads getting sick. I think is what it's literally called. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you th- you flip that on for like casual watching. People would be like, "What the fuck is this?" But like, I don't think people watch that unless you're like. I, the only reason I watched it was because of David Lynch. Yeah, exactly. So and like and then I think I had like some sort of uh, like f- forgiveness to it, where it's just like, well. It's a short films. What are you going to do? <laughs> He's a weird dude. So there's like, there's like that aspect to it. But yeah, like I, I've, I've seen these things in art exhibits. I've seen these in bars. We used to have some hipster bars here. Like there's one <laughs> called a uh, tongue and groove. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I, I sure do. 
So uh, that's where you'd go for your beef carpaccio and uh, things of that. Well, see, that's the that, fa- that, that was the fancy one. That was, that was the nice the one. I, I I remember the original location, which is now Taj. Oh. That that place was <laughs> just about uh, the seedy side of things. Yes, but a good time. Yeah, everyone had a good time. That's the kind of place that they would have brack by brackets just playing on in the background with music. No, they didn't. When I was rolling, no. When I was rolling, they did. It seemed like it. There were there was no projection. Well, you're lying. I'm sure there. I'm sure there's a bar somewhere in the world that did. You you setting up these these straw men locations of these hipster bars. I saw you in Oliver. You're 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 you were talking about this. I I saw this. Okay, okay. Like you guys, you you chuckleheads. Well, I my honestly, my memory of Tongue and Groove was that they did things like that. Okay, I watched a couple. I watched a couple (laughs) movies at Tongue and Groove. I watched uh, Ace on D, the uh, hit movie from Denis Villeneuve, and uh, Marwin Call, and those were actual showings. But so in my mind, it's like I bet they would have showed Brackage. Yeah. But the point I brought it up for, and I mentioned to you a little bit ago, I was like, two weeks ago, I was looking at my Brackage stuff here getting ready because it's 25 films and like a lot of these are on youtube and uh, i was just like looking to see what they were like uh and i had music playing on in the background and i said to you uh i was like holy shit i was like this thing syncs up like unbelievably so i was listening to alexis on fire and it was one of the brackage things it was like two or three of the short films and it was just it just like paired up completely and i was just like I was like, what is going so, on? So one of the rules in my video sketchbook course was that you could not use music in your videos because I think of this very thing where yeah. like it's, it just smooths it out. It, it's just kind of like, oh, it becomes a backdrop to the music. And yep. I, I see like a, there's a billion YouTube videos that do the exact same thing where people make, yep. I made a music video using my favorite song by David Bowie or by blah, blah, blah. And it's just like... But it also illustrates sometimes it's like, yeah, if you take away that sound, you're left with this video. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, look how crunky it is. And uh, yeah, the music solves a lot of problems. And it's it like, does? It, it's a real cinema thing. So it's like sometimes an amazing thing when you watch a movie that does not use sound. And mm-hmm. you're like, wow, there's like no score. There's no manipulation. It's just like letting things speak for itself. And it's just like it lets the, the film craft uh, breathe, RJ, and uh, speak. Ooh, for, fine. Like, Artisan fine. Yeah. film craft. Yeah, where you just use minimal audio. Because there's times uh, th- throughout this weekend, you were messaging me saying, "Does are these videos supposed to have no sound? Because there is no soundtrack. Like, there, you're watching it. There's no it, audio. It is no audio. There's no, like, buzz of, like, a projector. It is just this, the image. It is stripped down to the bone, which also makes, you know, four minutes seem like it lasts that much longer because you are mm-hmm. just, it is just you your eyes looking at the image and taking in whatever those images are into your brain and leaving it time to really think about what you're watching in, yep. in theory, good or bad or good or good bad, or, good or bad. And yeah, and that's why I bring that up where it's like, so for me, I did it just completely unintentionally where it was the music I had on in the background, just paired up with it. Well, and I was like, Whoa. And a friend of the show, Oliver, had a similar experience where he's like, these this reminds me of like nineties music. And I was like, I I feel you, man. And I think it's kind of like, so I am that guy that I'm that guy who's just like context shouldn't matter for, I would say nine out of 10 criterion movies where it's like, if I need to do the homework for it just to enjoy it, I don't know if that makes it a good movie. However, and I know you said that. Mm -hmm. 
for these ones, it's like what you said where Brackage himself didn't want these ported to like home video basically. Yeah. Because I kind of get it. These are the things that should just be playing like projected onto walls and like galleries or bars. I would play this shit in a bar, sure. Behind your band? Yeah, I would play it behind my band or something. And it's like, I feel like it would work there. But in home con, like in home viewing, for me, Jarrett, oh, it doesn't make home it, viewing. It's it, just it's like, absurd. No what one, are, I, you're I, just I, like, what am I doing? No one, no <laughs> one's, I don't think anyone's popping on, you know, this de- 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 desist film from 1954. And it's like, yeah, I think I'm going to watch that. <laughs> like, no one, yeah, there's like, because there's short films that you watch for entertainment and, now you you just watch that on YouTube. When you want to watch like essentially you know BC Boys Sabotage, a music video. Uh mm-hmm. if you want to watch that, just pop you school, check it out. You put it's it cool. on check it out. and then you go, Yeah, I'm good. You don't need to go bust out the DVD anymore. It seems no purpose. And like Brackage is like, I don't think it's gonna be like his, like even you know, like his like best ones. Um the one that for me I thought like was the most successful of his like abstract shorts was mm-hmm. Night Music, which is thirty two seconds long. Uh, it's what is it here? Uh, part of three hand painted films. So this is like when he's, I guess, first doing the hand painted stuff. He uh, painted this on IMAX film. Okay. And it's, it's to attempts to capture the beauty of sadness as the eyes have it when closed in meditation on sorrow. Whatever. Mm. This this one though, this one like visually is absolutely stunning. I watched it twice. <laughs> I know. Ooh. I spent an entire minute on that one particular. It just like was really like the color. Like levels were just like wow, like yep. it looks incredible. Like it really looked like nebulas, and like it like it just looked great. Whereas a lot of them look so samey because mm-hmm. the way that the persistence of image kind of flickers by, you barely ever get to see an image for very long. And then he started changing it up a little bit, where he would slow slow down and speed up. Uh, I think with the one that's like to Marilyn, there's times where yeah. it kind of speeds up, speeds down, and uh, for Marilyn, for Marilyn, that's it. Uh, and you get to see like those like still images like if you saw that as a painting on a wall by itself you kind of go oh nice <laughs> and like nice th- then you just kind of go on i guess because there's no like for some people they they respond really strongly to that stuff right. and in film mode when you're watching things at uh 24 frames per second because this was projected film you could set it at any speed uh, and mm-hmm. it kind of goes up and down it's just about the barrage of the image uh, and the ideas like whatever whatever you're supposed to get out of it is what you get out of it. And if you're open to that experience, it can do something for you. And if you're not, oh my God, you're just going to hate this shit. And I don't, I don't blame you necessarily, oh, yeah. but yeah. It, it really, like watching this, it reminded me a lot of my problems with just like the lack of like respect, I guess, for art in general like anywhere you go well jared art isn't real i don't know if you knew that i'm i I saw some hashtags about it but it's like i don't know if i I can't really necessarily blame people because like the whole the whole kit and caboodle the whole system is kind of like eh, that's like the least important thing do you know math do you know your maths but yes uh, so there's like yes there's, there's obviously there's things that are prioritized over uh art education and that's like been the case forever because it costs the same amount of money to learn that stuff but is that going to get you a job i hear mm-hmm. it all the time every hey. time i mention people like they go oh you work at the university they think oh you must be like a an astrophysicist what do you do there and i say i work in the art department and then they go oh 
<laughs> every time. So hey, hey, I I understand completely because, as I mentioned before, my partner works in the art department or in the art gallery, rather. Yes. And it's the same thing. Like when we were so when she was finishing, like we finished our undergrads a year apart uh, and I started my master's in neuroscience. And our joke was always it was like that she would never find a job and that I would be okay. And then what happened was she had a job before she even graduated and I still can't find a job in neuroscience years later. <laughs> so it's just like what I, I'm just saying I, I agree with you, Jared, because it's like, huh, huh, priorities of the man, eh? But, you know, some of those things get decided by uh, higher up people. It's yeah. Oh, I, well, I've, I, I've, I've literally had people tell me who are people who work at McDonald's. Yeah. That like, oh, what's art? Like, what's art good for? You can't get a job in that. And I go, oh, yeah. Like, it, it's just kind of like, oh, people just say that because they just that's what they're told to say. And I don't know. Maybe like other parts of the world, it's not so uh, obnoxious. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It depends where you live and uh, the people around you, all these things. But, I mean, this isn't like if you don't care about buy brackage, I'm not going to hold it against you. I think it's because uh, a lot of this doesn't work for me either. <laughs> I've uh, I've seen enough, my fair share of this type of stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's. It so is, let's let's it get is, into it. Let's then. get into it. Let's talk so, about it. So buy brackage, Jarrett, is something that uh, I found maybe the most one of the most grueling things we've done on the podcast mm-hmm. for me personally and yep. it's because you told me not to you said do not watch this all in one sitting and i said fuck you Jarrett. i'm gonna watch it all in one I, sitting. I hate you, i'm dad. just gonna go for it i hate you dad you're not my dad <laughs> but i hate you and i'm just gonna go for it and it was grueling to <laughs> say the least let's kick it off so first okay. so first up i'm going in the order of my dvd set uh, and the very first film on that is Desist Film, the earliest film, I think, in the anthology here. From 1954, the synopsis from Letterboxd. Four young men and a young woman sit in boredom. She smokes while one strums a lute, one looks at a magazine, and two fiddle with string. The door opens and in comes a young man, cigarette between his lips, a swagger on his face. The young woman laughs. This is fucking synopsis? As, Jesus. The, as the four young men continue to disconnected activities the other two become a couple when the four realize something has changed first they stare at the couple who have kissed in an hour dancing slowly the four run from the house in a kind of frenzy and return to stare the power of sex has unnerved them so my very first note my very first note for this and all my bracket films is in in all caps this is cinema (laughs) (laughs) so this is about beatnik beats uh it reminds me of juvenile delinquent exploitation films just more immediate than calculated filmmaking uh first Mm -hmm. my first note here uh it becomes sort of like a uh an image that he recalls later on uh, as belly buttons and belly button digging um and when how do you uh, feel about that i know you have Keep it peculiar interest. Keep it keep it behind closed doors. Because you know when I, when I saw this, I was just waiting for that finger sniff. You know. Have you ever smelled your finger out of a belly button? That's just, that's none of your business. That's that's uh, that's between me and my belly button and my finger and my nose. Between you and your God. Yeah. Can you tell me about it? 
It stinks. Yes. Yeah, it smells horrible. Um, Smell good. So this is about assholes getting together to make cinema. This is like exactly Mm. what when people in their studio decide, hey, let's do film. Like, and nowadays it's like, especially when you actually have film cameras to do it, this is basically what people make because they think them of themselves as very interesting subjects because they're 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 young and they're the most interesting people to themselves that they know uh-huh. and they make things like this. Uh and they, they and that tradition carries on to now. Uh mm-hmm. Wack, more like Wack. I I just wrote that because uh on the road here, you know. What is what does that have to do with any of this? Beatniks. It's, it was is the moment, uh, RJ. You know, have you ever read that on the road? Uh, I haven't, but I'm aware of Jack Kerouac. I watched a movie once where someone played a Jack Kerouac. Wow, huge! Uh, I I know that yeah. those uh, what are they? The Beat Five, the Beat yeah. Three, the Beat Era, what, the, whatever the, the yes, fuck. Yes, the called. Beat Poet. Yeah, yeah, you know, Howling and yeah, all that I, shit. I know, I know those dudes. You know. uh, so this, this comes from the era where a large portion of American males looked like Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. Um, hey, RJ, how do you feel about discordant audio? <laughs> because this has this, like, I don't, know, I don't even know if you remember a lot of these things. I, that's why I wrote notes. But it's just this, I like, notes. Uh, like that, that is the audio track. Why, why do you think I texted you so many times? Does this have audio? <laughs> well, that one, Does that this, one, this one did have audio. And then yeah, we get cool. leering, lustful rape faces. The end. The end. Uh, does this desist film? Desist film. I went so into this seeing that uh, our our fellow creeps listeners had watched it ahead of us, and <laughs> were just appalled, appalled by it. I kind of was like, eh. Yeah, so, you know, I've this is uh I've been here. I've I've seen this type of thing before. This is uh par for the course. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think I watched these in the same order you did. So I I took an approach similar to the Beastie Boys where I wrote down every one of the shorts and then most of them I just have a one word like a one or two one word one sentence review of each one, okay? So does it this film? I would have never guessed at the end of it, that that would be the most like coherent story of the entire collection of these by brackage. Yep. And I use coherent loosely, yes. but yep. it's like, it's the only one that has anything really. Uh, and my only review is, Oh look, gross people doing gross <laughs> shit. Oh man, that, 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 that grant, all those people, but it's, it's the most like, it's exactly, it's like pretentious, like art house people. It's like, we're going to stack the, like, it's a house of cards, man. Mm-hmm. We're smoking cigarettes, man. Look at us hang out, man. Th- 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 this is like, yeah, it, it's every, every decade's got these people. They, they, they're, they're, they're the, the, the clothes change, but the ideas, the youthful rebellion against the, yep. the something is there. It's all all the tropes are there. I listened to the remarks sure. on this. Uh, you got a bracket saying here. You have a director, a cameraman, actors, a set, a composer, and that's it. And it's like, yelp. Uh, he, <laughs> talk, he talks about how he was inspired by the Italian neorealism, the the the, Rosa, the Rossellinis, the De Sicas, and he talks about Rossellini? his interest in uh, in Fellini and uh, Italian neorealism and French surrealism. And uh, how artists couldn't work with film because it was expensive. So 
this is like one of the things like this is what your shit looked like when all your money went to buying film. You you did what you could. And yeah. I've seen better things made with film with no money. Those things do exist. Uh, and this RJ took six to eight months to make. I I would have guessed it took 10 minutes to make. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. Uh, the other thing, so uh, this is the, maybe I'm going into that uh, wanky territory, but uh, one, one way to think about this film and other of his films and the way he talks about it too is like think of his terms in terms of poetics of uh of poems of poetry which again i think i'm on record saying like i have very little time for poetry i like i think for for how everyone Mm -hmm. probably a lot of people think of brackage for some i think about poetry i have no time for like the vast majority of it to me i'm just like just write it write write a write a story why are you writing this poetry mm-hmm. why isn't why are you making it this much more difficult to understand but uh i feel like if i was going to get poetry it would be via film because uh it's yeah. a it's a medium i'm more interested in than the written word of poetry which it's the lowest art form poetry yeah <laughs> uh, have you did you not say that I just thought we agreed yeah. that poetry yeah. was the lowest art form. And finally, RJ, my note here is yes. that the, this is the first appearance of sex. The first, but not the last. That's right. Next up, Wedlock House and Intercourse, 1959. RJ shaking his head. Synopsis. We see a film negative of a nude couple embracing in bed. Then, back in regular black and white images, we see them alone and together, clothed, at home. It's night. She sees his reflection in the window. She closes the drapes. After sex, again in a black and white negative, they sit, smoke, have coffee. They kiss. She smiles. They light candles. The images are often quick. The camera angles occasionally are off-kilter. Occasionally, RJ. Occasionally. The room is sometimes dark and sometimes lit, as if lit by the rotating of a searchlight. The images again appear in Who negative when they return to bed. Yeah, I, these are help. Somebody wrote these. These are more accurate than some of the shit that we get for I, actual I know. narrative films. I, I understand, but it's like it's very like... These, these are like, you know what? Like when you actually read a textbook on like experimental film these mm-hmm. descriptions are very helpful because sometimes it's like it is the, it is stripped down meat and potatoes uh written word what these things are if you had to describe mm-hmm. them but it's like I guess. but it doesn't I capture guess. necessarily the tone because then it's like then it gets into subjectivity so right. uh the the t- the synopsis of this from the criterion dvd from uh sb the first months of marriage with moments of mutual awareness frightening understandings lovemaking uh, so this RJ opens up with inverted balls and vagina. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> and I wrote it's brackage. <laughs> it's bra- That's the brackage approach. So this, I so this one's got no audio. Uh huh. Um, and you know what? I'm gonna be a little out there. I've, I actually found this uh, effective, RJ. I found this effective. Effective in what sense so, do you mean? <laughs> so there's this like the darkness, this all-encompassing black. We have these weird lone figures hanging out in dark kitchens and these explosions of like sex in an inverted world. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of like it, it captures this idea that like the act of sex kind of shifts us out of the dreary world that we inhabit, one of coffee and cigarettes and out of the darkness. It, it's like it, it, mm-hmm. it's inverted and it goes to brightness. Okay. 
Uh, and then my other note here is how uncommercial this film is. Um, there's these striking images, but there's these weird juxtapositions that emerge from this listless pacing because this thing is just like a murky morass. Like they'll be just like, here's a corner of, here's a shot of like the corner of a room. Here's a corner of a door. Here's a hallway. And here's these shots. And then there's these people. It like, but again, this is like when he's still referring to reality. Like there's still human beings in his frames and it's not mm-hmm. just like pure abstraction of just light and color. Um, mm-hmm. There's these the, those bright lights, those searchlights that I ever mentioned, those bright lights running along the wall, the blacks of the curtains swirling around, aimless rhythms. These are all just tropes that were being explored, just like uh, these bands of blackness kind of moving around. Like it's, again, experimental film. Not really uh, interested in making something that's uh, digestible as like, yeah, this is really well paced. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, to, to me, this is just like, uh, it captures this idea of like just two people in a dark world but punctuated at these moments of light. It's just like, I don't know, it has this eraser head kind of quality. Um, does it? Like, it does. Because uh, it's like, it's like these people who like don't really even love each other. There's no baby monster, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't have quite the panache of a, a David Lynch, but you know. Um, and what is my final note here? And yet, while some credence is given to the escape of sex, the sex is repetitive. It's so like depressing and sad because it's literally the same frame of dude getting on top of his woman with dangling balls and then just start with like what? dangling balls. And they just start okay. kind of like rotating back and forth. And it's just this like listless thing. Um, and then, oh yeah, my, before I hand it off to you, the remarks on this one from Brackage, he starts talking about the internet. <laughs> like I was using uh, some digital, uh, some experiments with some like software and be like, yeah, it's really interesting, but I got bored with it after 10 minutes. Cause it lacks a, a visceral quality. And this was the one you liked? I don't mind. I I thought I I had an actual thoughtful response while watching this. I, I, this I was, was White of Lock, right? Yes, this is the one about just sex. My one line review was yes, fifty percent balls, yeah, fifty <laughs> percent black screen. Yep, absolutely. That's that, all. Uh, that's it. Yep, that's it. That's all I have to say about Wedlock. Okay. Balls. I saw a lot of balls this week. Well, Jared. I, 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 that's, I mean, were you expecting it? I was not. When when we did the Brackage Initiative, mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting. That sounds like a Dan Brown novel. It's part of the MCU, or uh, written by Dan Brown, Clive Cussler, or something. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, the Brackage Initiative. I didn't think there was that many balls, but here we are. There is. And here we are. Okay. So next up on my disc watch on the DVD uh-huh. was Dark Star Man. Next was your Dog Star Man. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it jumps around like basically yep. all that's left on the first disc was Dog Star Man and then uh uh Eyes, the autopsy shit. Gotcha. And then, and then it goes back all around and goes through everything else. Okay. So Dog Star Man RJ. So mm-hmm. this is te- this is five parts. Uh it takes yes, place I'm aware. It's 74 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And um Let's break it down. I'm going to read these to you, and you respond, okay? Okay. Dog Star Man, Prelude, 1962. A creation myth realized in light, patterns, images superimposed, rapid cutting, and silence. A black screen, then streaks of light, then an explosion of color and squiggles and happenstance. Next, images of small circles emerge, then of the sun... Images Mm -hmm. of our earth appear, woods, a part of a body, 
a nude woman perhaps giving birth. Imagery mm-hmm. evokes movement across time. Y- yeah? Yep. That's Yeah, uh, that's Dog Star, that, man. That's, that's Prelude. That's only the Prelude, oh, my friend. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, my notes, uh, murky home video footage. <laughs> that, uh, yes. Dog, I, uh, I say that somewhere else later. Dog Star Man sounds like a superhero created by Grant Morrison. The yeah. the short of the short of film that comes out of a development tank. Oh yeah, the sort uh, that's supposed to be the sort of film that comes out of a development tank made with like a, a dandelion fixer or something. This is mm. a this is a, a deep cut reference for myself of people who are doing like experimental film out on like farmland and they're like, hey, what could we use to use for fixed for developing <laughs> tank uh, footage? And it's like, oh yeah, use some dandelions and mix it all up and uh, use all natural chemicals. That's what this reminds me of is real, real folksy filmmaking. Folksy, <laughs> um, eh? Yeah. Abstraction with only glimmers of a reference point. So yeah, this is the beginning of like departing lifting off from earth and into a, a whole new cosmo zooming mm. out of tree branches with the sun ejaculating rj we got those Are solar you flares you know it you see that's it. what the, it says no that's this is me this is me because oh. it's about sex and death in life rj shameful and yeah uh brackage has seemingly at this point moved away from sound altogether and embraced the image the image of uh what of what have you. Dog okay. Star Man, part one. From a murky landscape, a wooded mountain emerges. We watch the sun. We see a bearded man climbing up the mountain through the snow. He carries an axe, mm-hmm. and he's accompanied by a dog. He labor his, his labors continue. There is no soundtrack. Images rush past. Water, trees, and surfaces too close up to distinguish. He struggles. A fire burns. Nature in long shots and magnified is formidable and silent. It's tough going. He carries on in a capillary blood flows. <laughs> My notes consist of the journey continues. Uh, and then I wrote, whoa, big Stan is going up the mountain, a.k.a. Jon Snow. Because he's, he's looking a little bit like Jon Snow here. Bearded, a little bit. Up, he yeah. he looks like Hodor now. Yeah. I, well, I mean, he's dead now, yeah. but you know. Uh, I wrote this. Should I find fucking annoying? <laughs> this. Dog, yes. Dog, yeah. Uh, and then I wrote, ha ha ha, lactating nipples. And then there yep. was also axe cam, <laughs> where you see like the camera on the axe hilt as it swings mm-hmm. away. You got any thoughts? That that kind of point of view is reserved for Marvel movies now. Ah. That's some high quality stuff, Jarrett. That's filmmaking, my friend. You ready for Dog Star Man Part Two? I mean, this is I'm ready for all Dog Star Man. A man accompanied by a dog struggles through snow on a mountainside. We see yes. film stock blister drawn square shapes appear. Then we see an infant's face. The images of struggling climber, baby, blurred film stock, large snowflakes, and what may be microscopic details of matter are superimposed on each other, one dominating the frame briefly to be replaced by another. As the man falls in the snow and tries to regain his feet, the baby continues to appear, first with eyes closed, alternatively, or alternately, art alternately, Wow. Uh, Images rush by montages of paper cutouts and life under a microscope. 
RJ, do, uh, do, 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 do these films reflect your experience living in Colorado? It's pretty close. Yeah. When I lived there, I was climbing a lot of mountains. I was uh, transmuting into a lot of babies. Yeah. So, uh, I mean. A primal scream for survival. The essence of life. Yeah. There was a lot of dogs there, too. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty close. Dog Star Men Part 3 from 1964. Sexual intimacy. Three kinds of images race past, superimposed on each other sometimes. (laughs) Two bodies, a man and a woman's, close up, nude, patches of skin, wisps of hair, glimpses of a face and genitalia, strips Mm. of celluloid with lines and squiggles scratched on them, and close up shots of what appear to be the insides of living bodies, a heart beating, muscle and sinew and tissue wet with fluids, the exterior and interior of desire. Mm. And then what happened? Dog Star Man Part 4, 1964. The riveting conclusion. Oh, man. A man is supine on a mountainside. Images rush past of nature and a stained glass saint. An infant is born. We see a lactating nipple. Images include a Mm. mountain peak, farm buildings, a tree stump, a fire, a crawling baby, and the sun. The man falls and rolls. Then later, he swings his axe. I'm glad that they hi- like they emphasized that point. <laughs> well, I wrote, that was exhausting. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I have 22 films to go. Yeah, Dog Star Man hits early. It, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good one to get out of the way quick. It hits early. Um, um, my the, only <laughs> comment on Dog Star Man was a blank, just nothing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the title of this Dog Star Man, it comes from a pulp Western novel that Brackage came across uh, in his wanderings. Uh, he was like, it had a really nice, like, painted cover. And he's like, oh, mm-hmm. Dog Star Man, that sounds amazing. And then he oh, read, so he stole it. And then he read the first few pages of it in the store, and its shittiness offended his sensibilities. Mm. What a waste of a great title. So we made this. It's funny. I was thinking the same thing about Dog Star Man. What a waste of a great title. What a waste um, of a great title. Brackage also talks about the myth, like he's George Lucas. Oh, <laughs> the is pow- it poetry? Uh, the power of myth. I'm sure it is poetry, as I mentioned earlier, yeah. the poetics of abstract expressionism. Mm. Um, yeah, this is a trial, a trial and a half. And this is the most celebrated of them all, because I guess it's the most substantial, because it's so long. And people go, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, there's some uh, there's some paper, there's some takes out there, folks. You can go out there, read them for yourselves of uh, how amazing this is, how it just, they, they, they were watching it, and then it was over, and they're like, what happened? <laughs> Not my experience. I was very mm-hmm. much um, checking my my social media, checking my emails, checking my emails, looking, looking on Letterboxd, seeing what other people were watching. This is one of those ones where it was uh, kind of like quite long, quite on, where uh, I wasn't even looking at social media. I just looked up into my roof, into my <laughs> ceiling, and I was like, I wonder what's going on in my walls right now. <laughs> You know, your mind drifts so much. You're just like, what's wood thinking? (laughs) That's what I was. That's where I was a dog, man. Yeah. Um, The end of disc one, we have Mm. the act of seeing with one's own eyes from 1971. 
So this this is an admiralty in the Brackage oeuvre. Um, the synopsis. At a morgue, forensic pathologists conduct autopsies of the corpses assigned. Mm. Uh, a, a certain quote from Sim- The Simpsons comes to mind of, Hey, kid, want to see a dead body? <laughs> want to see a dead body? That's Brackage asking you. And uh, mm-hmm. if you're like, yes or no, well, you're here watching it. So this is about 30 minutes long. I don't feel I was asked if I wanted to see a dead body or not. And uh, well, it does on the DVD. It explicitly warns you that I didn't this, have the DVD. This, this tells you I wasn't hey, warned. This is the dead body party, and uh, mm. yeah, you get to spend time uh, in a forensics lab, in a morgue, whatever it is, and you get to see dead bodies. And uh, the process of just like seeing a dead body, many dead bodies, of shapes, sizes, colors. Uh, you get to see different kinds of balls. Mm-hmm. You get to see some dead, dead balls, balls that are very distended and weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also get a little bit of uh, fingering of belly buttons again. Dead belly buttons. It's his thing, I guess. Autopsy footage, though, RJ. Have you ever seen uh, autopsy footage before? I have. You've, you've been on, like, do you remember Rotten.com? Was that before your time? I am aware of Rotten. I never searched out autopsy footage. Mm-hmm. I saw it in a class once. I was shown it because I had to, because I was in the class that was doing it. I never went to rotten.com and searched up dead bodies, but I'm sure a lot of guys did. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, Jared, I'm, I'm not a fan. Not a fan of dead bodies? Of, uh, I understand what he's trying to do. He says, hey, this is a part of life. People die. People get autopsies. What are you going to do? I'm Stan Brackett. Yay. <laughs> but, you know, in my my point of view, I don't really, I don't like, I don't like people filming dead bodies. It seems wrong. Like, this guy could have been like, yeah, sure, I don't give a shit. Film my body when I die. And, he, and Brackett is like, okay, I'm going to do it then. But uh, in my mind, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not for this. This thing. My comment was Jesus Christ. <laughs> because uh, I was watching and I was like, is it I was like, what are they doing here? And then they start cutting his skull off and I was like, oh <laughs> God. Okay. Uh so a question for you. What's that dried up white thing by second dude's dick? <laughs> don't ask questions what, that you're I, you, I don't, you can't handle, I don't, pal. I don't know what that it's like oh, I don't know what that was. Um yeah. So my, whatever you were or had done, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're just another pile of meat on the meat cart going out of frame with a white sheet on top of you, if you're lucky. And some of these people, there's like a burnt up body that comes in. It's, uh, that's a mm-hmm. thing. So it's like, why bother? When you're watching this, you're like, my God, this is how it ends. Um, you get inside out face. It's looking something like out of Elephant Man. Mm-hmm. Something out of that uh, scary stories we tell in the dark. Oh, is uh, is there actual dead bodies being uh, autopsied in uh, that uh, hit movie no. from Guillermo del Toro? No, not quite. Um, it could be. Yeah, and then I'm here, here. Ah, here's that real autopsy fun. I think that was in reference to when they're just like 
taken the like because there's a bit where it's like a pre like a, there's like a, a slow easing you into like what happens in an mm-hmm. autopsy where you're like oh here's just dead bodies and it's really like oh and then they get to the autopsies and about what, mm-hmm. what what the state of a body is after an autopsy's been done where organs have been removed and you're left as a husk a just a that you could be midsummer-esque yeah but not like that's the thing we talked about midsummer. Yeah, we, keep going. We're good. Keep talking about. It. We're um, done. We get to see like reminders of what human fat looks like on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like the the chunking through the rib cage, just like just like can you imagine how sharp those scissors are. Those like just wrenching through to pop it all out. Oh, I'm I'm hey, I've done I've done things <laughs> to bodies. Okay, oh, I. So yeah, maybe I had PTSD watching this thing. Yeah, so, just okay. like, uh. my uh, my uh, light my light brevity. You're talking about this. I, th- th- this is the pinnacle, I think, of Brackage's work. I think because mm-hmm. it, it's it has that reference to reality. Um, yeah, and it's like it is. Uh, there's nothing quite like it. It reminds. It's it, it, it talks about just what life is and the mm-hmm. the thing that no one wants to talk about. And it's like. Dude, does it change anything? Does anybody really want to go out and start talking about death and face their mortality? No, because we're afraid of death. We're like, no one, no matter who says, ah, oh, no, I'm good with it. I'm cool. It's like, no one's okay with it. I don't think. Um, yeah, it it kind of, it, rec- uh, it reminded me of like, uh, uh, was it Blood of the Beasts, which is spending time in an abattoir and you're getting to see, uh, what happens to animal bodies with uh cow bodies uh and mm-hmm. that stuff that that shit's horrifying and then when you're watching it humans there's almost like a oh i can relate to this in a different way but i'm still alive but then you see what a body looks like when it's been turned off like when it's no longer functioning and realize like that's it that you get that spark of life and uh so i mean there is like a uh, a messed up argument that this should be like life inspiring because it should lead one to maybe appreciate the life that they have while they're still kicking. I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's that age old thing where it's like, well, death makes life meaningful, but at the same time, maybe it all doesn't, maybe none of it matters, Jared. Well, maybe, maybe we could just end it. No. I, so I think that because I don't know, this, this feels just more like a straight up documentary and is kind of at odds with, cause there's no, the editing is like, it's direct cinema. There's like some editing and it's like compiled and mm-hmm. condensed, but, uh, there's not a lot, there's no trickery. There's no, uh, burnouts. There's no like awareness. At least I, I didn't really pick up on any, not like to the level that his other films have that are like bringing attention sure. to like, Hey, you're watching film. So yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't like this <laughs> cause I don't like seeing dead bodies. Yeah. No, um, I don't know if anyone does. No, I mean, and I, I understand that's intentional. Yeah. But at the same time, I'd rather watch Commando. Wouldn't you? <laughs> Muscles. Yeah. Okay. And then on to disc What's two. Next? Cat's Cradle, 1959. Oh, yes. Images this of was, two- I think, I'm just going to interrupt you. I think this was the best and only good one of Ooh, all of these. Yeah, yeah. This one is actually uh, of his like actual just uh, the early ages of his stuff and the experiment. Yeah, that's actually my note. Uh, so yep. images of two women 
two men and a gray cat form a montage mm-hmm. of rapid bits of movement. A woman is in a bedroom. Another wears an apron. They work with their hands, occasionally looking up. A man enters a room. A woman smiles. He sits. Another man sits and smokes. The cat stretches. There are close-ups of each. The light is dim. A filter accentuates red. A bare foot stands on a satin sheet. A woman disrobes. She pets the cat. Uh, the, the, the Stan Brackage summary of this is sexual witchcraft involving two couples uh-huh. and a medium cat. Uh, yeah, my note was like, I found this to actually be a fairly attractive uh, short. Uh, the reddish hues, the uh, the editing, the cat fur, looking at mm-hmm. Kitty. Um, and yeah, as, as early as Brackage stuff goes, I think this is his best looking and uh, most accomplished. Like, it really like, I, I actually liked watching this. Yeah. The- I mean, I liked it just because there was a cat on screen mm-hmm. and it wasn't being tortured. So I was like, I'm cool with this. <laughs> Bonus. Bonus. Yeah, Cat's Cradle's not bad. No, that's a gooder. Mm-hmm. Window Water Baby Moving from 1959. <sighs> On a winter's day, a Ooh. woman stretches near a window, then sits in a bathtub of water. She's happy. Her lover is nearby. There are close-ups of her face, her pregnant belly, and his hands mm-hmm. caressing her. She gives birth. We see the crowning of the baby's head, then the birth itself. We watch a pair of hands tie off and cut the umbilical cord. With the help of the attending hands, the mother expels the placenta. The infant, a baby girl, nurses. We return from time to time to the bath scene. By the end, dad's excited. Mother and daughter rest. <laughs> you what? So, uh, brackage, dad's excited. brackage is to belly buttons as Tarantino is to feet. Uh, I agree with you. Also, I don't need to see babies being born. <laughs> I don't so need to you, see bodies being taken apart. You don't apart. like death. You don't like birth. You, what, what? What? You got a problem? I don't like life. You, you, yeah. I don't like all three of those things, birth, life, and death. Man, None of them bracket, are good. Brackage is not for you, my friend. I, I mean, none of it is. I got a note here of va-va-voom. Uh, to the pregnant lady? He's, she's a pretty nice, she's a very attractive woman. Which part when uh, Brackage's when the, Brackage's, when the that was, uh, baby Brackage, is crowning? That, that was uh, Brackage's wife. Uh, okay. I think this is her. This is their daughter being born. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, How would you feel if uh, you grew up and you're oh, like, my oh, birth was on. Here it is. People are watching okay. it when they're doing podcasts. You know and... what would make birth even more difficult? Having a camera up in your cooch. Uh, I mean, it probably doesn't hey, help. Oh, oh, spread your legs wider. I'm trying to get a good shot. The light, not a good light, honey. Open mm. it up. I can only imagine that shoot day. Good God. Not good. Um, so this is another thing. I've seen this several times. And the, I'm pretty much done seeing live births. Yeah. Hey, well, 1959. I mean, and was it presented this way? Yeah, mm. I, I wrote explicit detail, which of which there is some <laughs> yes there is some <laughs> i just like to uh thank everyone who's very probably proud that i was uh objectifying the pregnant woman giving birth yeah i know you're you're fitting right up there with <laughs> hey, the big it's, dogs it's, it's all in the name criterion creeps <laughs> i mean we've never said that before next up moth light 1963 mm-hmm. seemingly at random the wings and other bits of moths and insects move rapidly across the screen. Most are brown or sepia. 
Up close, we can see patterns within wings, similar to the veins in a leaf. Sometimes, the images look like paper cutouts, like Matisse. <laughs> Green objects occasionally appear. Most wings are translucent. The technique makes them appear to be stuck directly to the film. Materiality, RJ. It's about the surface and the illusion of surface. <laughs> Material. They may appear like they're not real moths. Come on. So, Come on. did you know that point, this is his most popular film RJ, on Letterboxd? Yeah, I know. So, at this point, I wanted to ask you: Had you considered how experimental films were shown at the time of their release? I think we've touched on that. A yeah, little we, bit. we talked about it earlier. But like, just like, yeah. how was this projected? Was this ever on a TV screen? And now, like, 50-plus years later, we're watching this stuff. And, like, I think culture has changed so irrevocably from, like, the period of time that stuff like this was being made that, like, this is just, like, oh, this this piffy little stuff that just isn't going to change anything. We're, like, we're so deep into whatever you want to call peak post-capitalism, RJ, mm. that shit like this is, like, yeah, whatever. Thanks, moths, and uh, Maybe... moving along, moving along. What what have you? What can you offer me? What can you bring to the table that we can bring into our uh, next blockbuster, our uh, next last edition mm. of Christ? Maybe Stan Brackett should have had the foresight that people would be consuming this in their homes fifty years after he made it. Listen to me, go here. I, mean, I was like, I was asking, are are our opinions our own? If people are products of their time, uh, we can't be above and beyond that ourselves. Is know. this you talking? This is me talking. These are my notes uh, watching Moth Like. So I was just thinking about like how something like this is received now compared to how it was received in 1963. And like mm. our, we're prisoners of our own time. And like we're going to probably sound like idiots talking about anything we talk about now, 10 years from now. But like, and but even then, we'll just have, we'll be prisoners of a different time and we'll be able to jeer and laugh. Like, you know, it's like going back and reading Roger Ebert reviews of things going like, what a chud he was in 1969, thinking that way about a movie. And, uh, just like, no one will do that with us. Well, yeah, that would require, uh, listening to a podcast. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Uh, yeah, you have opinions. Yeah, I got opinions. And this one's about death, RJ. It's about death. Death. They all, Jared. This one. Well, this one. Death and life. It's about corpses, but it's insect corpses. Mm. But what else happened? Um, th- how about the Eve myth? <laughs> or sorry, I myth from 1969. All 12 seconds of it. And uh, you know what my note here was? Uh, and I, when listening to the remarks, finding out that it took Stan Brackage a year to make. This is the kind of shit that ter- makes people say that art isn't real, Jarrett. <laughs> isn't it, though? When you're like uh, this, this two minute short film with mostly black and then just a, it took over three years and forty million dollars to make, <laughs> and you're just like art isn't real. Maybe 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 we shouldn't give this any time anymore. Maybe kids should learn math. The wool, the wold shadow, 1972. A stand of birches, sunlight brightens and dims, revealing more or less of the woods. A light grass is on the forest floor. Is there a shape in the shadows? Something green is out of focus. Mm. (laughs) Something. Something green. The light flashes and the screen goes dark from time to time. We look up close at the bark of trees. Is the god of the forest to be seen? Is it? 
Mike, it's just like it's a wood scene with a glass pane, and he's playing with exposure and underexposure and focus. And then I had some posts here. I I copy and pasted at this point some comments about uh, Brackage's comments about the use of sound and how when you sync something, then you're sunk. He was referring to the banality of treating sound image relations in mainstream film as elements to be unified through representational cause effect synchronization. In a letter to Rona Page on the subject of music, he speaks of his intense dissatisfaction with conventional uses of music for mood and so-called realistic sounds as mere referendum to image in movies. So he studied with John Cage and Edgar Varese at times with the idea of searching out a new relationship between image and sound and of thus creating a new dimension for the soundtrack. I, um... I don't like any of the stuff that he's saying. And then he also continued, the more informed I became with aesthetics of sound, the less I began to feel any need for any audio accompaniment to the visuals I was making. The more silent or silently oriented my creative philosophies have become, the more inspired by music have my photographic aesthetics and my actual editing orders become both engendering a coming into being of the physiological relationship between seeing and hearing in the making of a work of art in film. See, I don't like that because I feel like he's he's saying that you can't equate visual and auditory sensory like stimulation in the same sense where he's like, well, the visual is what matters. This auditory doesn't matter. Well, it comes he's from like, a, a modernist strain, though, of like kind of stripping things down. And that's like the whole thing was like eventually you wind up with minimalism. So this is like part of that process. But yeah. again, when you're explaining this stuff in academic terms, it sounds what it sounds like. Yeah, <laughs> it know? sounds like it's what it sounds like. Yeah. I find uh, I think he's I think he's being a little bit narrow in his outlook on these things. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think he needs to open on, it up a little on, bit. Come on, dude. Put it, just put it on behind your band. Pick up an <laughs> instrument. Like, I mean, well, to be uh, to be fair, though, I guess I would have pref- – I prefer no audio to if he went with, like, a solitary tone, just like, doo, like the whole <laughs> time. Because he could have very easily have done that. The Garden of Earthly Delights from 1981. <sighs> A collage of two-dimensional images of vegetation, each appearing only for a moment, sometimes as a single image, more often with other bits of stem, leaf, bud, or petal. Often, we see only the outline of objects against a black background. Black and green are occasionally joined by fragments of orange or of white and blue. The objects in the frame don't move, but they are quickly replaced by another collage, giving the feel of rapid motion. Each collage is crisp, its lines etched against the background of black and later of white. Whitman, anyone, or Harmonious Bosch? Oh, this person. With who? Harmonious, Harmonious Bosch. Bosch. Wow, I know what Guardian of Earthly Delights is. Although there is no soundtrack, the rapidity of changing images and colors suggests a riot and this is just another piece like moth light that's all i got to say about that um the stars are beautiful from 1974 we move Mm. back and forth between scenes of a family at home and thoughts about the stars and creation children hold chickens while an adult clips their wings we see a forest 
A narrator talks about stars and light and eternity. A dog joins the hen and the family while the narrator explains the heavens. We see a bee up close. The narrator suggests metaphors for heavenly bodies. Scenes fade into a black screen or dim purple. Close-ups of family life may be blurry. The words about the heavens, such as the stars are a flock of hummingbirds, contrast with images and sounds of real children. Aw, shit, RJ. We got some voiceover narration. Audio is back up in this base. I I wish it wasn't. Uh, This goes way too damn long. Which one is this? The one where he narrates it. It's like 20 minutes long. No, wait, which one is it? What is this called? The Stars Are Beautiful. Uh, is this the one that opens with them cutting off those chicken yes. feathers? Yeah, throughout. I skipped this. Oh, I, I, I watched him starting to cut off chicken feathers, and I was like, fuck this. So I just fast-forwarded it. It's like getting a haircut. Yep. Well, no. I mean, they have, like, they have those. You shouldn't do that. So, so they don't fly away. I So, I mean, I watched all of these. But this one, I saw this handling of this chicken, and I was like, no. I, I just fast-forwarded through it, and no. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm telling you the truth. Okay, that's fine. Yep. So, so you, didn't, you didn't complete it. There would always be the uh, the gap in the collection. Uh, there, there is a moment in this film. There's this one shot of an, like it's an overhead shot of mm-hmm. yellow leaves on a tree, uh, it's a forest area, and I kind of weirdly teared up. And I don't know why. What are you talking about, Jerm? There's, I'm telling you, there's this shot of like the, of a yellow forest, and I was just like weirdly moved by it. And it had nothing to do with the audio. It was just this like long kind of shot of this like forest. It, it mm. just like really nailed this moment of nostalgia I have at looking at, at old photographs and like the tone of it. Just like the, it had this right saturation, and I was kind of like, oh, I really like that mm-hmm. image a lot. And uh, that's it. That's like my only takeaway. I, I was not into uh, his uh, philosophical pinings like at all. Yeah. Not, nothing he said was of like of any, any value. It was like I do just I, I, I've met far too many guys like this in academia who like mm-hmm. they, they, they think they're good. And people go, oh, that was really great. But I'm like, no, this is <laughs> no. So uh, your takeaway, will it be this yellow garden or will it be yeah, uh, like, yeah, Stan that, Brackage's dick? His ball, ball, his balls. His balls. Well, we haven't got to that. We're just, we got his, his just his, his uh, ass. And well, his, we've seen it. We've seen balls. some balls. Yeah, dead balls. Yep. Yeah. Kindering, nineteen eighty-seven. Refracted images, not unlike those in a funhouse mirror, display two mm. children playing in a backyard, a boy and a girl. There's a dog, a swing, a picket fence, a big wheel strike. The grass is green and lush. A soundtrack mixes a chorus, swelling strings, and a child vocalizing. The effect is to idealize the image. <laughs> is so this one reminded me when I was watching it and it was like home videos, it kind of reminded me of uh, that Ethan Hawke movie sinister where it's like home videos. And then it's all those people getting hung on the tree. Bagul. His name is Bagul. Wow. Uh, my note here was about the big thick kids in the backyard because of the, uh, mm -hmm. the the distortion of it. Yeah. And, uh, and then you're like, Oh, he's filming them behind the bushes. (laughs) It's like, I'm I'm assuming they're his own children. Or grandkids at this point? Who knows? You assume. 87. Yeah, they're probably his grandkids. They're pretty young. Um, and then I Dreaming, 1988. At this point, it just kind of starts turning to listless bullshit. Where you're like, oh, 
Mm-hmm. Like there's the Dante Quartet from 1987, where my note yep. was staring off into space. Yep. Um, and then okay, so there's like I'm not even going to talk about these because they're just like it's 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 bracket. Name them off. Night music. This is the one that I actually like. It's 32 seconds long, and mm-hmm. watch that one. It's like it's the only it's, one you need. It looks gorgeous. Uh, RageNet was like part of this trilogy, and it's like mm-hmm. also super short. Um, he mentions that I think maybe this was the one. Yeah, this is where he mentions he was like getting a divorce, and uh, this is about like making his his rage. So this is like his the brood. This is his the oh. this is his possession. This is his divorce film. It's not as effective, mm-hmm. I don't think. Not quite. Um, yeah. So then we got Glaze of Cathexis. Uh, to which Solar I wrote, flares. What? Because it's about his response toward uh, Freud's t- toward a scientific psychology. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. And then we have Delicacies of Molten Horror Synapse, which has an amazing the title. The best title of any Criterion movie we've ever covered. And, and it, is, it is such a shame that yes. it is in the by brackage collection. Yeah. Uh, and then we have uh, Untitled for Maryland from 1992. I'll read. The film is officially untitled, but is referred to by the dedication that appears in place of a title card. Wow. It is dedicated to Marilyn Brackage, the filmmaker's wife. Out of all the 350 plus films that Stan Brackage made, this was his personal favorite. This film tried to kill my TV. Oh, did it? Yeah. Because it, this thing is such an intense like barrage of color so fast that it fucked up the megahertz or something in my HDMI and my 4k player and my TV. It started getting this rolling bar every 30 seconds. And when it ended, uh, it just kicked right out. Like it just shut down and then I had to, I had to restart. So, uh, beware. And then, Uh, so just by, do you, did you ever watch much music, Jarrett? Yep. Do you remember Ed the Sock? Yep. I remember there was an Ed the Sock when they were doing those fromage things where they were making fun of music videos. And it was like fromage 2000. Yep. I remember there was a simple plan video once where it was called like, I don't remember what the song was called, but it was untitled. And then it was like, but the story of a girl. (laughs) And then Ed the Sock was like, well, your, your thing's not untitled then, you dumb piece of shit. And he's like, this title is the story of a girl. So all I could think of was untitled for Marilyn. I was like, well, it's not untitled, you dumb piece of shit. It's called For Marilyn. No. Am well, I getting mad? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, well, you shouldn't. Uh, you should talk. never. You should never look at a an art book because, <laughs> oh man, untitled. Untitled. City. But then you say the actual title. Sometimes. Okay. Black Ice, nineteen ninety four. A lateral okay. descent through the midnight blues and blacks of ice and the refracted colors from absorbed oils. This one, the the one thing I did notice was this one actually really felt like it was sucking you in. Like, it felt like it was kind of doing something. But it's like, again, but this is like the point in time, the last few that we've been talking about. We didn't talk mm-hmm. about from Maryland. These are like the fear, pure, like, colors on film. And, like, it's just like him doing the little paintings on these things that take him forever to do. And he's just making these things over and over and over again. There's guys mm-hmm. like this. Uh, there's guys, like, who work in these series endlessly. And they kind of, like... I was thinking about this. So that's what the work's about. But it's like you watch and go, uh-huh. You look up mm-hmm. uh, Eric Metcalf, Robin Peck, these men you've never heard of, um, Eric Cameron, 
Nick Wade. These are these are the guys that like if he fits into that world. And uh, mm-hmm. there's some people who love it, and uh, the rest of us kind of even even me, I look on from the outside and looking in and go, huh? Studying color in black and white. I have nothing to say about that. Stel- stellar, black. not very stellar. Crack mm-hmm. crack glass eulogy. Kind of falling back on old tricks there. More like crack. Cracked ass. <laughs> Spoology. Dark Tower. This one, you know, it's got a promising title. There's this mm-hmm. one short. It's called, uh, I think it's like the Black Tower. And it's awesome. This is not Black Tower. This is just like, oh, it's got this black kind of monolithic form at the beginning. You're like, ooh, you could do some interesting things with that. And then he doesn't. This is, and this is like, he's getting, he's now getting close to like the end of his run. He's like Mm -hmm. now has cancer, which apparently he says, uh, he might've got from these chemicals and paints that he was using to work with uh, on these paintings of his, which could just be some, uh, dramatic flair that artists say where it's like, my art killed me. I'm making my art and dying because of it. Like there's a little bit of that. Cause you're like, did it actually cause that? Or are you just saying that? people i imagine he's just saying that yeah so yeah that was a yeah commingled containers uh mm-hmm. i talked about earlier where he thought he had broke his camera and so he was mm-hmm. going to bring it in for like a to get it warranted and uh well maybe we'll shoot this film first and find out and yeah i believe this is the one where he said he wishes that this was his last film that he had died because he thought it was a great note to go out on mm-hmm. and then, then the final film of this whole ordeal is love song from 2001 which is just a whole lot of what have you it's, I think my comment was more stuff. Yep. It's yeah. just more of the same. Yeah. Absolutely. It's all the same, Jared. Exhausting. You want to talk about who hates, uh, well, let's say dog star man. <laughs> yeah. Hit me with some dog star man. All right. John Castro, half a star. I think I've tried to start up the prelude once about every six months for the last five and a half years, going in late night and early morning, happy and sad, sober and drunk. It's done absolutely nothing for me in any context, and I've bailed out every time until now. And I think it's time to acknowledge that time's just been a sunk cost. If there's ever another adaptation of Art School Confidential, this is exactly the kind of thing minor characters should be name-dropping. I mean, yes. This is the person who didn't like La Dame du du Bois. They're back. They're back already. John Castro. They're back. We got here. uh, Yeah. Movies. We got here. Smash the TV. Hmm. (gasps) One star. The least amount of fun I have had in the Criterion Collection since Rene Claire. Boom. Wow. What do you think about Rene Claire? Uh, not, not so good. Not so good as the track records revealed from middling to, Oh, well, here's the thing about smash the TV. Yeah. They gave George Washington five stars. That movie about dog rape. What? What an animal. What an animal. I mean, they like criterion movies. They gave how to get ahead in advertising five stars. Favorite movies include repo man, Harold and Mon, the devils. They only have three half star reviews. One is Independence Day Resurgence from 2016. Oh. <laughs> the other is The True Game of Death. Looks like Bruce Lee. And Apartment 1303 3D. 
And uh, I don't know. He could be a fan of the show. He could be a friend of the show. Might, we'll never know, well, one I day, guess. One day he might even listen to this. One day he might even listen to this. We'll we'll never know. Uh, let's jump over to the act of seeing with one's own eyes. Why don't we jump over to that one then? Uh, what do we got here? Delicate egg? Gog? G? Delicate egg gog? Yeah, something like that. Half a star in any case. Is that your nickname in high school? Well, we don't talk about that. Delicate okay. G. Okay. This was absolute dog shit. Just watch a real autopsy and you might actually learn something. Oof. This is a cheap attempt at making something seem disturbing when it really shouldn't be. There's nothing artistic about this film either. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't think this f- felt artistic in any way. Like, I don't think he was going for that. No, I, I don't think so either, but... No. I mean, yeah, I can I, see why. I, I don't know if he was going for, for disturbing. I think it's like, yeah, you know what? Peeling someone's face back over their head, not not, not the most cool image. Kind of probably would be a little off. Well, I know that uh, the other thing, too, when I was listening to those uh, bracket remarks was him, t- like, how difficult it was to shoot this. And he was mm-hmm. like, I got to do this. I got to make it through. And he was like, oh, my God, if they bring a fucking kid in here, I'm going to lose it. Like, I will just, like, collapse. And mm-hmm. so he's like, yep, not not good. Well, and see, that's what I was saying. Like, I understand what they're doing, but it's like, I still don't want to see it. Yeah. So this person has, like, weird half-star reviews. So, like, active scene with one's own eyes. Atlantis, the Disney movie. Eragon, Fist of the North Star, Narnia, Rock and Rolla, <laughs> Secret Window, Incredible Hulk. Like, they're all over the place with these half-star reviews, right? All over the place. All over the dang place. Dang old. Di- oh. uh, tips from Chip. One star. Ugh. 32 minutes of nothing but real human autopsies with ribs being cut off. Organs being yanked out, brains being weighed, and nothing but slabs of meat on tables being left over. Unless this is on a list you are trying to complete, or unless you are a seriously sick individual, skip this one. I mean, I'll take his word for it then. Too bad. Or their word for it. No. Tips from Chip. I mean, they like movies like Jarrett, like Treasure of Sierra, Sierra Madre. Yeah. They have all of the regular shtick in there, Iron Giant, school, every schoolhouse rock, apparently. I don't know what that's about. Uh, and then they only have two half-star movies. One is called Hitler, a film from Germany, and the other is The Age of the Earth. What their issue is with those movies, we'll never know. Damn. We'll never know. They Like Criterion, Seven Samurais and the Favorites, Lawrence of Arabia, Princess Bride. The worst Criterion movie since By Brackage, allegedly. <laughs> we did yes. it. We did it, RJ. We, uh, we, we, fucking, we nailed it. We did it. Oh, dear. There's so many balls in these things. <laughs> so many balls. Uh, I think I don't think we can like express to people like because you were like, yeah, we saw some balls here and then we saw some balls <laughs> there. Some belly buttons. Unless you like, unless you actually watch these things, you have no idea how many how many times you actually see balls. You'd have no idea. <laughs> really makes you think. Not really. I this whole it's like I said, 
this the whole time watching this, I was just staring at my fucking ceiling and I was like, Whoo. After the break, yeah. I'm performing an autopsy on RJ's soul. More like balls. His bally soul. There you go. Hey, you acknowledge that there's a soul, so you are a Christian now. Good for you. Oh no. Don't you don't you don't be claiming me. Good for you. I'll baptize you later. Oh, Whatever. Jesus. No. Uh, yeah, you see? Uh. You said oh Jesus, praise him. Jesus. Give me your body. <laughs> some Stan Brackage after this? I will never watch Stan Brackage again. And if you say that it's in the Criterion Collection again later, I don't give a shit. I ain't watching it. You'll have to. I'm making a stand. I'm not going to watch any Stan Brackage. I'm not going to watch Gummo and Happiness. I ain't going to watch any of that shit. Leave me alone. I just want to watch Commando. You can email us at CriterionCreeps at gmail.com and tell us how much you love RJ watching Stan Brackage films. Yeah. We got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on Letterboxd. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. Mm. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, mm-hmm. Google Play. We have YouTube. We've got a Patreon. Make it worth our while, folks. Ooh. Huh? Huh? Ooh. Next week, RJ, it's Spine 185. It's the Adventures of Antoine Donnell box set. No. All directed by Francois Truffaut. I don't want any more. Well, you know what? We're going to treat ourselves. We're going to split that box set between two episodes so we don't die. It's not making me feel better. We're going to be doing Spine 186 next week. Stolen Kisses from 1968, which includes the short Antoine and Colette from 1962. Because, RJ, this here, this is... Part of the series that began all that long ago when we originally watched the 400 Blows. We're going to find out what happened to old Antoine when he grew up no. starting next week. No. So, you know what? Maybe we'll brush up, watch a little 400 Blows, and just uh, get a little. No. See how, uh, how uh, Ferris Bueller's doing, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. No. 
I don't want to watch that movie again. All available on the Criterion Channel, folks, so you can join right along with us. Come on, gather around. Gather around the mantle and uh, podcast with us. This is the least looked forward to week I've had the entire time. Well, it's two weeks. Two weeks of... This uh, is the least looked forward to two weeks I've had the entire time. And... (laughs) Hells yeah. I hate all of this, Jared. And mostly, I just don't like you. Good night, folks. No. I quit. For real this time.